0: We are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds.
1: Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast.
2: I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks
3: just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Welcome, everybody, to episode 100 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. This is our final episode, the episode that is ending it all. We are it is not only the final episode of the Trade Secrets Podcast; it is the final episode, at least for the time being, of geekorific.com, dot com period. Uh, so it's uh, we are actually. Uh, I don't really know what's going to become of the website after this, uh, so there isn't really a plan for that. Space Jam two point There yes. we go.
0: Yeah. Everyone has been to the Space Jam website. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. So good.
3: Um. So, we have the entire crew here with me today. Ann Bean is with me. Hello. Joel Simon is with me. Sup? Andy Padel is with me. God damn it. I was going to get in one yeah. more sup before Joel. <laughs> got All yeah. the way from Germany again. Eddie Isaac joins us.
2: Ah, guten tag.
3: And I am Luke Matthews. I have been here from the start. I'm here at the end. And uh, today we've got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to start with some uh, some news and some listener emails. And then we're going to move on and talk about our long read of Preacher. We read the entire run of Preacher from issue one to issue 66. We didn't necessarily include the side stories um, and the one shots, but we're going to talk about the main storyline. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming TV show. Uh, and then at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about our uh, reminiscences of of the Trade Secrets podcast over the years and uh, things that... Uh, we we liked and hated about the show for uh, the last well, we've been four and a half years a little over four and a half years we've been doing this show. It, it started at the beginning
1: like so much longer. It's,
3: <laughs> it started <laughs> at the beginning of 2011. Uh, in January of 2011, so uh, that's where we. That's where we. Or no, it was. It wasn't January. It was March because it was Emerald City Comic Con of 2011 was our episode zero. Aww.
4: Um,
3: in
0: the flash forward episode that we did, I was, yeah. was flashing forward to being in grad school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, oh, trust me, we'll, we'll go to the flash forward episode in the best moments of the show. Uh, best, really? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> the f- the flash forward episode of like, you what used, the fuck were we uh, thinking? That was, that you used fun, to actually. have hair, and I was just cackling. Madly while you were editing
3: that. <laughs> um, so Eddie's back with us. How are you? Uh, like it's only been like two or three months since we talked to you last, Eddie. But how's a uh, how's Germany treating you still?
2: Oh, I mean it's it, it's great. I'm uh, you know, I keep. Uh, I went to uh, Dresden a few weeks ago. Wow. Okay, and that was awesome. Um, it's uh one of the few big cities that was actually part of the former Soviet Union. Right, And uh, you can still see the remnants of uh, the remnants of communist architecture among the city. You know, everything looks oh. the fucking same. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's like if real, Did get rebuilt? It's like a really bad dream, uh, like you're stuck in a fucking uh, in a mirror house at a carnival. Oh, wow.
3: That's I mean, that sounds really interesting going to cities like that to me, like to, to see that kind of, to have the freedom to wander around a city like that and see, you know, what it you know, where it came from.
2: Oh no! It was it was awesome. Like I, like I was saying before, I've already been to Prague, and Prague reeks of it. Like you can tell that it was obviously former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to me, it is it is uh like a, I think like a historical, uh, I guess you could say like a historical monument or something that everybody that everybody won't get a chance to see. You never yeah. know how much longer it'll be there.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I also got to see the like the world's largest green diamond i mean this thing was huge it was like the size of a, like a uh like half of like half of football it was ridiculous dang wow. yeah green diamond also, a green yeah so it's hmm. uh it's a place there's a place in dresden called the green vault uh-huh. and uh it's got a lot of historical stuff from from germany and it's uh, one of the last uh one of the last big uh, monarchs of Germ- germany collect just collected all this stuff within his castle
4: hmm.
2: um a lot a lot of it was destroyed during the war so they reconstructed uh the castle and a lot of the other monuments but then they also have this green vault and they tried to reconstruct it to uh to historical accuracy uh to let you see his collection hmm. what he had acquired over the times and what he had been given as gifts hmm. so uh oh it was it was phenomenal some of the stuff i mean they had some of the parts of the floor, you know. They, you know, that I said, uh, "This is the this is the actual floor from the castle," and we're talking like 1687. And I'm yeah. like, I'm standing where someone from 1687
3: right. stood. Yeah, I had that same kind of experience when I went to Europe with Christina. Just like you, it's. Uh, as an American you grow up knowing that Europe exists but not knowing why and uh, <laughs> right. so yeah, and right. then you, you finally get to go to a place that has some history and it's uh, it reminds me of that Eddie Izzard routine where he's like everybody comes to the country wanting to go to castles and he's like there's, there's, there's another fucking castle in the way yeah like yeah. Um, this is from Europe where this, the history is this building was built over
2: 50 years <laughs> ago uh, yeah right um, well, yeah, you know, and that's the crazy thing, you know, as an American, you, you grow up in your country, and you're like, oh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we've got history that predates, you know, the, the, the 1700s. Yeah, and it's like, really, it's so, Gosh. it's so small in the grand scheme of the world. Yeah, right. And I love, like... I
0: love the illusion that like nothing happened in the new world before the Europeans found it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah, just, it's just, just so that's much it. more biodegradable than the things in Europe. That's yeah. all.
3: That was the thing uh, um, John Oliver did, like, one of his short skits on last week tonight, last week tonight where he was talking about um, kids starting up school. And he, he goes, now, history class. And he puts up a map of the world, and he's got Asia and Africa highlighted. And he's like, in an American school, you will learn that these two places exist, but not much else. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's pr- that's pretty fucking accurate. My
1: favorite reoccurring John Oliver thing is when he shows a infographic of some map and like there's a European country or something. And it's always and the, it's wrong the wrong one. one. <laughs> yeah, I've been pretty good about getting them right, but I will be the first to admit I didn't realize when he had the Baltic Sea highlighted that it wasn't a country. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> oh. But yeah, it's
2: it's awesome. It's awesome being able to travel. Hopefully, uh, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a lull in work in the next coming months, so. I'm gonna try to get out a little bit more and yeah. get some video game, get to some video game tournaments.
3: That's cool. And um, are you gonna have a? Are you? Is there any chance you're gonna have a lull anywhere around um, Gamescom? Maybe get a chance. Uh, well, to go? that won't
2: be. Uh, that's gonna be questionable. August is August is always a busy month for us. Yeah. So it's but but next year. Uh, I might just put in the time off ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. and just take and just take it anyway cuz you know this year I didn't go because of you know stuff that was going on but I definitely got to definitely got to get there before I leave for sure.
3: Yeah. Do you play board games at all,
0: uh, Eddie?
2: Uh
3: you mean, like, what, Monopoly? <laughs> no, 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 more complicated. I think the
0: answer is no, then.
3: <laughs> Probably not, because you're in the yeah. country You're in the country for it, sir. That's, like, where the oh, vast majority of, of the best board games in the world come out of Germany, and there's a game show there called Essen, Essen Spiel that is all about traditional gaming that's pretty fantastic, but, huh. you know, I don't know. You're, if you're not into it, you're not into it, but if you have a chance to go to Essen, it's supposed to be pretty fucking cool.
2: Oh okay, yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. It might be worth just worth a stop anyway, you know, yeah. just to you know i I, I grew spirits. up on like Monopoly, the game of life, sorry, <laughs> She's <laughs> Ladders,
0: Huh stuff, stuff, I do stuff wanna like try that. to play Monopoly but with like Agricola rules. <laughs> somehow? I don't know. Monopoly with rules? With (laughs) Agricola rules. Well, with rules. I like the with with rules. rules. Yeah, Yeah. because fuck that game. Monopoly is about fighting with your siblings (laughs) over pretend money.
2: That's all it's about. There really is, literally, it's like there's a rule book. I wonder if anybody ever reads it because whenever you get money in Monopoly, everybody divvies it up different. It's like, somebody's like, oh, well, starting off, you get four or five hundreds. And somebody's like, that's way too much. It's two five hundreds. (laughs) And it's pretty much it's pretty much whatever household you're in depends on how much money you get at the start.
3: And then and regardless when you're allowed
2: to make trades and when yeah, you're allowed to yeah. buy property and, and all types of other stuff. And mm-hmm. regardless
3: of what the rules are, nobody ever charges the same amount for rent when you land on their space. They're just like no. it's totally <laughs> it's totally fucking uh, grudge based. It's like, Oh, oh yeah. you fucked oh. me over in the last game, a thousand dollars rent. Like
2: <laughs> Oh yeah, it's always oh. a, some, some arbitrary number. Yeah, and I fucking like, hate that, Monopoly. Then, yeah, and then that starts an argument. Yeah, it's, it's a it's friendship ridiculous.
3: ender. I hate that game.
2: You could
0: play yeah, oh, accurate man. Monopoly where one person just gets most of the bank, and the other people get, you know,
2: <laughs> twenty yeah. bucks. Well, that too, and the banker, the banker, is always ends up being like the most untrustworthy. System. Oh yeah, if
3: you're a banker, you steal. You steal like crazy. It's, it's very, very much like the real world. <laughs> I just say there's some real world parallels being drawn <laughs> yep. here.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's literally it's literally real world. It yeah. really is.
3: All right, let's start talking about comic book stuff. Um, one of the big stories that came out in the last couple of weeks uh, that I wanted to touch on was that um, the a for, Mike Martz, a former DC and Marvel comic editor, joined with uh, Joe Pruitt, who's a an Eisner Award winner, to create a new creator-owned comic company called Aftershock Comics um they made their announcement on uh, in april and so far it looks like the the list of people that they have signed i'm not going to read the whole list because it's huge but the the key points are garth ennis and amanda connor uh paul jenkins marguerite bennett justin jordan uh brian Azzarello, neil gaiman oh uh, yeah
2: um yeah uh- all uh, right, Amanda Connor was on uh, was on Harley Quinn.
3: Uh-huh. Yep. Uh huh. Yep.
2: And uh, Brian Azzarello was on Wonder Woman until he's until he's off that project.
3: Yep. So they're doing. Um, they've got four comics starting out right now, which is going to one of them is going to be by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, oh yeah, and then well,
2: also on Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm.
3: And then uh, Paul Jenkins and Andy Clark are doing one called Replica. Paul Jenkins wrote Spider Man for a long time, and he mm-hmm. wrote Batman: mm-hmm. The Dark Knight. And he one of my favorite comics that he did was a six issue miniseries called um, I'm gonna fucking blank on the name now, son of a bitch. It was a comic with him and it was
0: actually called I'm gonna blank. On I'm the gonna name blank now. on the name it's now. The it's very meta. Uh,
3: it was him and him and Huberto Ramos, and it was all about. Um, uh, a Scotland Yard investigator who's brought into Rome to investigate the murder of a priest at the Vatican and it is uh the name of the rose no, it's really good it's a really wasn't good the Vatican um the
1: da vinci code
3: but it's it's interesting I think that um like there's some other big names that have signed on but haven't done anything like John layman and Ray Fox. Yeah, and, I'm excited to see um, Gray Fox
0: get more creator-owned stuff. Yeah, Sam Keith. Hell
3: yeah. I
2: haven't seen uh, that much out of Sam Keith in a long time. Uh, now, here's my issue. Isn't this the same way that, I mean, it might be a little bit different, but isn't it the same way Image started out? Uh,
3: kind of, yeah. I mean,
2: yeah.
3: and it's the same kind of um, uh, mentality that Image has, but I have a feeling there has to be something different about it because I don't think that these guys would just start their own company specifically be you know to do the exact same thing that image does there has to be something that they're well
2: know. well the thing is is that even image i guess i mean even in the beginning and when image kind of had very loose rules they you know it kind of failed because you know you get a you get an epic you get a, you get a, a issue of young blood in january and then you wouldn't see another issue of young blood right. until march let's yeah, talk about wet works because yeah <laughs> right? because the the, the creator where the writer and the artist would take a break, and you know now you see DC and Marvel they have stand-in writers and artists for when artists and writers want to take a break or they're working on too many projects.
3: And people and, fucking hate that. Yeah. I hate that.
2: Uh, well, no, some in some instances it's bad. Like when we, when we reviewed Wonder Woman a while back, and Cliff Chang, Chip, Cliff Chang and Tony Atkins.
3: Yeah, Tony uh, Atkins. Was...
2: And yeah, and and Tony Atkins' art was just freaking horrible uh, on a stand-in. Yeah, you know, it just didn't fit. Well, it's the same,
4: That's
3: the same but, way I feel about the stand, uh, about, um, the guy who does the stand in art for Hawkeye. Like I like, I like David oh, Aja yeah. a lot, but I don't like, um, I don't even remember his name, but I, cause I'm for listeners out there, uh, I'm working on three hours of sleep and I can't remember names to save my life today. So I'm not going to remember artists and writers names, but the guy who does the, the guy who does the- uh, Bri- Brian Polito. <laughs> oh, <hey, laughs> I got yeah,
0: it. He also did She-Hulk and you didn't like him. There I didn't either. like
3: him there either. Um, and it's it's weird because you, you you look at uh, the different models that different companies have had like image like you said their rules used to be real loose so they would have w- huge gaps and stuff that's what happened with fucking you know battle chasers just fell apart. There's a battle chasers video game yeah. coming out. Um, there's Kickstarter. Fuck you. Um, oh, Kickstarter games. <laughs> and, bad. and so they had this weird thing where you know you'd have these really fucking great creative teams but then absolutely no schedule maintenance yeah. at all
0: that will kill a book
3: and then um, you have which which happens occasionally now like pretty deadly is a good example of one that they yep. did their first five issues and it's been on hiatus for seven months something
0: I, like that. I yeah. feel like a Kelly Sue has way too much going on yeah. but she was also much smarter with bitch planet because yeah. she has every she has two issues of main story and then one issue of it's a backstory sort of origin story for one of the characters mm-hmm. um, and it has it always has a different rotation artist yeah. so she is writing the whole thing but at least like Valentine Delandrose is able to keep current with the book because yeah. he's only doing two out of three
3: well that's kind of they did a similar thing with the sixth gun where they would have a story arc that was about five or six issues mm-hmm. and then they would have a, a character origin that was done by a different artist and then you know they of course have mini series that are also done by different artists and have different storylines in them but um, so there you know there's the other model where you know you which in my opinion is the right one way to do things like if you have a reason for a guest artist to come on to a book that either the storyline like the storyline is from a different point of view or it's or it's an origin or it's a an outside the main storyline it makes a lot more sense and it's easier for readers to reconcile right Uh, Mm -hmm. I think Marvel and occasionally DC I think what they do is is the wrong way to handle it which is to doing something the wrong way which is to Just literally have two or three artists and and the thing that pisses me off about the way Marvel does it is that they will sell a book prior to its release based on its creative team and then that creative team will only be solid for... Three, three to issues. six issues oh, and then exactly, and and exactly. that pisses me off because like if i'm going to commit to individual issues over a long period of time based on the creative team that you sold me as advertised in that book and then all of a sudden three issues in i don't get the same artist or the writer
1: changes or something paul pope um, slash batman i'm looking at you
2: yeah i mean that's that uh rick Remender, rick Remender, captain america jo- uh,
1: that was like yeah, a year though right yeah.
2: Yeah, re- Junior was in that book, and then all of a sudden he dropped off.
3: The worst one is Cassidy on uh, Astonishing X Men. Was it Astonishing? Mm. It wasn't Astonishing. It was all new X Men. Mm. Was it all new X Men? It, it wasn't. Was a- all new. Yeah. yeah <laughs> when Cassidy, ca- the X Men. No, no, no. It was the one. It was. Uncanny Avengers. That's the one I'm trying to remember because that was um, this.
2: This conversation half, is
0: exactly why I don't that, follow. Marvel that's right. Titles. That was uh, huh? half
2: Avengers, half
4: X Men. Exactly. So it's all Avengers versus X Men. And
3: Cassidy was on it for I think four issues. Like, and he was yeah. the se- he was one of the selling points of of that comic. He lasted like three or four issues and then he bailed. And that that like creative teams are what are important to me in comics now so if you fuck with the creative team you're fucking with my desire to read the comic yeah. anymore.
2: Exactly.
3: And then and then you have the the third or fourth method which is um where uh like Dynamite has done this and Boom Studios has occasionally done this and um what's what's top cow has done this where they will have multiple artists on a book, but they, they have a quote unquote house style for that book. So they recruit multiple artists who are all similar. Either they all already look similar or they actually reign an artist into a style, Hmm. which ends up with frankly, Really mediocre overall art because you end up with artists who don't who aren't really developing their own style they're just copying kind of like you know Brett Booth back in the uh back in the image days when he was just a Liefeld clone yeah you know and was it with Liefeld no Brett Booth was the Jim Lee clone there was the the guy who did Brigade whoever the fuck he was was literally just a a live it looked like a 15 year old high school freshman copying (laughs) Liefeld's art um oh, yeah. and the it, that's one of the reasons why I like creator owned books is because at the very least the creator is is in control of what happens in those scenarios yeah. right and I can you know there are some creators I can trust and some creators that I can't and like Brian Brian Hurt and Colin Bunn have have earned my trust with the Sixth Gun mm-hmm. and they've done it right and it's now three issues from ending and it's always been Brian Hurt and when it hasn't been Brian Hurt it hasn't been the main storyline mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. so I don't know it's uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Aftershock differentiates themselves from somebody like yeah. Image um because even even like boom studios and idw have started there have have done a lot of creator owned stuff in addition the difference is that th- um they specifically also do a lot of licensed properties I in mean, addition i mean the same
0: is true of dark horse uh, yeah, yeah
3: exactly um so uh i'm excited tentatively because of some of the the talent that That's they've got great lineup. um i'm not it's funny the the guy that they use as kind of their headliner uh is garth ennis and he's the guy I'm the least excited about, mm. and we'll talk about why because we're talking about Preacher today. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm just I want to talk
1: more about Preacher, Captain and- Crossed over there. Like, <laughs> <clears throat> I have tastes. <laughs> <laughs> They're specific. They're not for everyone. I'm honest about that, <laughs> and fuck you if you have a problem with it. <laughs>
3: So my question is:
5: How are they going to distribute these comics? Is it going to be digital only? Is it? Retail? No, it sounds huh. like it's a full-on comic.
3: You know company. who's really?
5: doing
0: digital fun. only? Michael Bay, <laughs>
5: yeah.
1: motherfucking money.
0: Michael fucking Bay has gotten a bunch of film writers to try to write <sighs> comics. To do digital comics that h- incorporate like
3: so Michael Bay has gotten a bunch of film writers to publish their storyboards. yes is what you saying. Okay.
0: yes, but they're gonna be storyboards that have like animation and shit or something I don't know. like I think it's like Marvel AR style like I've seen drawings taking of explosions digital before. comics to the next level, which means making them shitty yeah. and making them a shittier version of animation.
1: I, yeah, this book is called Boom, and it's just 32 pages of full-color explosions. Maybe I and will submit the, the
0: script to Herpaderp, the movie, to Michael Bay.
3: In a world gone mad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> explosions and Herp. more explosions.
3: Starring Herpaderpaderp. <laughs> herpaderp. herp-a-derp. Um, okay, so I, I want to move on to some some listener uh, interactions.
4: Mm. Dope. Uh
3: so one of our longest term listeners is uh we, we knew him originally as Scanner fifty one. Uh his name is Jesus. He has been with us pretty much from the beginning and probably one of our most interactive listeners uh Impressive. that we've had over the years. Um and we've got a few different emails and, and Jesus, I'm just gonna let you know. You sent four emails in the last week and I'm not gonna read all of them.
4: Uh but we appreciate uh, that. We, we appreciate
3: it, but like Come on, man. And the selection. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm going to read bits and pieces of a few of them. Uh, He has some comments and some questions, and... Uh, this one, I'm going to cut out the middle and read the beginning and the end because uh, he says, Hey guys, I just want to say thanks for the great podcast. I'm going to miss it. I remember just barreling through all of the after the fact and trade secrets episodes and it was fun. You guys are great. And maybe one day I'll get up to ECC to meet ECC to meet everybody. Great show. It will be missed. Um, the reason that I cut out the middle of that email, Jesus, is cause you talk about, um, whether or not Superman should have, killed zod or not and we have talked about that so much on this show that, A lot. Uh, A lot. that i think i think if you really want to know you can go back and listen to our opinions on that And you've probably heard them already you're the guy that's listened to every episode anyway um he uh, his his second one is is kind of the the generalized question that i i would put out there for all of us which is um he says <clears throat> you guys ask what our favorite episodes were and he says, I don't remember all of them, but two stick out. First is Pretty Deadly. Out of all the books you guys covered, this one I tried out, but it wasn't for me, unfortunately. The second is that piece of shit book I suggested, All-Star Batman and Robin. I am again sorry for this. I just thought that if I read it again, maybe it would be better. It wasn't. I'm sorry, guys. This has been a great podcast, even though I don't agree with how, my, how you guys feel about DC. I, Except for yeah. Eddie. And he says, I'm willing to look the other way. Uh, uh he and he asks what our least favorite episode was. And I thought about that and today, and I'm I am gonna for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna say our Green River Killer episode because it it wasn't the worst book we read. It was just boring. But it was it was a it was fucking boring and it made for frankly kind of a boring
1: episode. It yeah. was just kind of there wasn't a hell of a lot of discussion to be no had. No one had a really strong opinion on the book. Like It was just like, it's not good. Why is it not good? It's I just think not good. It,
0: <laughs> it wasn't sure what kind of a story it wanted to be, and we weren't quite sure what we wanted to say about that.
3: <laughs> yeah.
5: Let's yeah, start so with it's, it's, so So it's ahead. a... Oh, go go ahead, Eddie.
3: Oh, I was going to say, Eddie, what 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 was your least favorite episode?
2: I'm going to say... Catwoman, I think Catwoman was just a good trushist. man. <laughs> yeah, Catwoman it was just bad. It was, you know, I really had high hopes for the book. And and it just it just didn't wow. Negatory, really in any way. it was uh, it was like supposed to be part of the D.C. continuity, but certain things were going on in the book that didn't seem like continuity. And then uh, some of the artwork was uh, what would you call physics uh, defied physics?
4: Yeah. In, in yeah, Catwoman's
2: ass was cunt, con- con- continuous.
1: Wow. Just, <laughs> just wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like
2: continuous, like continuous I mean, physics. Yeah, this is like physics just totally missed the whole time.
0: If and anyone uh, isn't sure what obje- objectification is, they can look at the first page of that book. Right. It's a great look example. The cover. Well, no, the yeah. first page because it has like little snippets of thought and it has all the different panels oh, where yeah. you never see your
2: face. and. Yeah. So like and the Vicky like I think that book Apparently. was Judd uh, Jud Jud Winnick. Yeah, yeah, which
0: is fucking disappointing because I love Adventures of Barry Ween.
2: And and you know, but we we talked about it was just like the fact that he he was writing, he was trying to write a female character from a man's perspective, and it was just turning out really very obvious.
4: <laughs> yeah, and
2: it, it was it was it was just bad. I really I really thought that book would really uh would would really do great things for Catwoman, but but it didn't, and uh, I. I, I think what made it even worse was that was the same day we had to do the Echo the Dolphin episode. Oh, <laughs> after the fact. You're right. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. And so it was like, we Whoa. did Echo <laughs> the Dolphin, which was horrible. horrible. And then oh, it's the cat woman, and it was just like, Okay, Man. that was a
1: so, bad day. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to let everyone on some inside baseball. As after the fact was wrap, uh, like wrapping up, and trade secrets was you know mm-hmm. sort of starting off. There were some double ups in there yeah. that happened, which was a real bad call on all of our parts. Yeah, it was really like
3: it was. That was actually probably, and I, we can. I'm going to go ahead and go into this since we're you know we can kind of pepper in reminiscences throughout the show. That was like. I have never seen our podcast crews just so demoralized by doing the podcasts as the days where we had to do multiple episodes of, like, After the Fact and Trade Secrets at the same time. It was rough. It was yeah. really hard. And it was, like, there were... I remember uh, at one point we were trying to do, like, an After the Fact episode and then a short or two shorts in the same day. And Ruff. then there was one where we were trying to... Like, there. Were, I remember there being a day... When we recorded like an after the fact and a short and a trade secrets and all of us wanted to shoot ourselves in the face because it was literally, (laughs) it was like
1: six hours or seven hours of recording and it was just, it was bad. Oh, I mean, like, th- th- that's when drinking on the show started and was then called <laughs> off. as like, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. We got way too drunk. This, yeah, that after, we'll the, f- the, 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 after the fact, Luke, Luke's <laughs> apology, <at>
5: the, <laughs> the, the apologetic
1: <laughs> after the fact episode, because wow.
3: Um, <laughs> God, what about you, Joel? I, like, I love that clip. <laughs> yeah. uh, What's your least favorite?
5: <clears throat> My least favorite would probably have to be the tooth.
3: Really? Yeah. That, just, that, that actually Just because me.
5: that that was the episode that spawned the meme that I've never lived down. What? Yeah. Rudyard Kapli- Rudyard
0: yeah. Kaplag.
4: That, yeah, <laughs>
0: I, thought, I thought that Unwritten spawned yeah, Rudyard Kaplag.
5: No, was it Unwritten or he was, was totally it? Because because it was totally Unwritten because they t- discussed Rudyard Kipling in Rudyard Kipling's yeah, book in there. Oh, is that his name?
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, his okay. name is... is <laughs> so
5: it have to be Unwritten then. Yeah. Unwritten. <laughs>
3: which, whichever one it was. Yeah, whatever one which, it was. Which, whichever episode I
1: fucked up and didn't pronounce something right like Drar. <laughs> the, like drawer, uh, the Blargs and
3: the twats. <laughs> Blargs and twats is great. I
1: pronounce
5: drawer right.
3: Well, and it was like the first. Ep- the first episode was what. Uh, what uh, brought about the? Am I having a stroke? Isn't it? Wasn't yeah. that the so. it? was yeah. like the first one. Uh, it was probably episode two. I yeah,
1: think. something like that. Yeah,
5: yeah but you, that that one dropped off quite a bit. But Redyard kept logs. Well, it dropped off because lakes. it's
3: in the show intro. It it has. It's lakes, at though. the beginning of every yeah, single yeah, yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. My quote at the beginning of every episode is still the one the about one. Uh, about uh, Nikola Tesla inventing this fleshlight, so. <laughs> 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 I like that one. Uh,
2: that would be awesome. Andy, his um, favorite
1: episode? Fuck you, Echo. You <laughs> sack of shit. Super truck, boring girl, girl bullshit. Yeah. I hate it. Like, that was the one where I was just sitting across just like, God damn, this is just, it's not fun. It's, it's bad. It, it wasn't it's even fun to talk about. It was yeah. just, like, we're just I wanted to here. like it
0: really hard, and then it just wasn't good. Yeah,
1: I think that was the first book that Anne recommended that made me want to hit her with a chair.
0: Oh. Uh, what else have I recommended that's made you want to hit me with a chair?
1: Adolf. Adolf. Yeah, oh, I that's right. You really didn't <laughs> like Adolf. Oh. I wasn't on that episode, if I remember right, but like, still, I read it. You I'm read just, it, and you were and just I was like, like rage.
0: It's, it's, it's been rebranded as letters to Adolf is what the current um, reprint of the book is called, and I think <laughs> they're like, oh, well, maybe it's weird to just have a book called Adolf. I still maintain that it's a damn good book.
1: Ah, you there are full go. of shit. Uh,
0: well, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> like Casanova, so, hmm.
1: I
3: remember <laughs> Super Truck and Boring Girl being, like, we couldn't find things to talk about. Yeah,
1: So we're just like, we're <laughs> there, like, there were pauses where it's just like, we're sitting here. It's like, well, this is all getting edited out. Does <laughs> anyone have anything to say? <laughs> yeah. No? Okay. No. All right. Oh, man, God, can we find up. something to talk that about? Bi- please. That biker gang is real boring. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> what else is boring about this book? Oh
3: God. Oh God, everything. Yeah. that. Um, And that's, sh- that's a shame from a guy like Terry Moore. Who's yeah, I, he does like, other really yeah, good yeah. work. Strangers in Paradise, fantastic. Oh, what
2: was, what was the book we did with the the character? I think I want to say it was Alan Moore, and it was the, you the character. Terror? She kind of looked like Wonder Woman. Prometheus. Oh. Like Promethea. it was a spirit. Promethea. No, Prometheus. It's, it's great, great, great. Promethea Yeah, Promethea ah, so That good. was another one that that got a lot. A lot. Y'all didn't of like it. Yeah. And you're all wrong.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like I'm maybe looking back with you know not remembering it correctly, but I remember the first time that I read Prometheus, I liked it. The second time, I was not like into it.
3: Mm. Yeah, I was totally indifferent the first time I read it, and I'm not. It's not. It's something I'm never going back to. Uh, I was just like. No, I mean,
0: so, I realize it's not. I, with, like a universally what what appealing Same thing
2: with uh, Memorial. Memorial. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Memorial yeah, was nice. one that should have been good. It was one that we were all looking at going, "Wow, this looks this looks like it's got a fantastic idea." And then the execution was just not interesting in any way. And it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like it was actively bad like Holy Terror or um Catwoman. It was just it was just the execution was bland and Mm. boring and so it was like it's really hard to talk about a book that can't even figure out what it wants to do that's much like
0: Green River Killer yeah 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 Uh, But the one thing
5: Oh go ahead Go ahead with your least favorite
0: So a lot of A lot of the ones on my list Have been covered But I will bring up Jersey Gods As one that hasn't been covered Jersey Gods was fantastic Because
1: I mean Shots fired
0: Sort of had You know But the thing is The discussion went as far as Jersey Gods is fantastic Says Andy Meh Says everyone else the
1: end yeah yeah i so like that was like i was swinging at everyone on that one oh, I'm yeah. like you're all no, wrong you're...
0: well come on that's me and promethea right like yeah. you have your one we are like damn it this is great you're all wrong but uh don't you people
1: realize how brilliant this book is <laughs> <laughs> You fucking luddites brilliant for jersey gods yeah oh oh
3: no no, yeah. no. There's yeah. nothing brilliant about that, and book.
0: this is why it was like a discussion that was pretty much that. But Says for the man who's minutes. like,
1: "We should read Holy Terror," <laughs>
3: <laughs> knowing full well that it was going to be awful. Yeah. I knew, I knew in advance how awful that book was going to be, and I and to the point where I got us free copies to read so that no one would have to pay for it. Like that was. Yeah, that, I mean, at least that was on purpose. Yeah. I remember that discussion. I remember you guys thinking I was nuts. And you're probably right <laughs> for saying, we've been doing too many
1: good books
2: lately. Let's we got to do something shit. shitty. Uh, and uh, then oh, you got throw, throw it off. You got yeah. throw everything off. Yeah.
1: Eddie, you were not with us at that point, right? That was right before you, you joined.
2: No, I, I can't remember the first book. I know Catwoman was one of the first books I did. I can't remember. What, yeah i want the
3: actual let's see it would have been uh the beginning of twenty twelve so i'm i'm try i'm just trying to look here to see like where we were' because emerald city comic con twenty twelve was right around episode twenty five we had just done fear Agent. so um the episode after that was level up and then kick ass and then footprints did you were you on any of those
2: i didn't do any of those
3: okay because I know it was a little while after the con that you were finally able to join us Footprints was the Bigfoot Loch Ness Monster yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, yeah. Lucifer okay. Strange talent of Luther Strode I like nope didn't do then, cat, you then Catwoman was your first
0: episode.
2: Then mm-hmm. Catwoman so. was my first episode. All uphill yeah, from there. The show,
0: <laughs> 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 that being said, I do appreciate discussions of books that are like so bad that there's like interesting things to say about them, like All-Star Batman and Robin. I yeah. had such a fun time eviscerating that book.
1: So yeah, yeah. Little, little does Eddie know, <laughs> we're like, okay, Eddie, you say you're the DC fanboy. We're going to
5: give you a book to defend. Enjoy <laughs> Catwoman.
2: No, no, no. I think he brought... Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly where it went.
5: Yeah, <laughs> it really did. And that was right after the new film. 52 also wasn't it, like uh, the it was a little while after
0: but okay.
2: it was uh, no cat- new 52 had been around for about nine months i think
3: really because i thought catwoman was one of the new 52 launch titles yeah, yeah. but it was. It, was no, it, was. it was a trade it was a trade. trade oh but that's right we didn't yeah. review it until later that's yeah okay yeah. Okay. okay okay okay. right okay, okay that, okay, that okay.
2: was about that was about six episodes that was about six issues and i think new 52 was up to about nine issues per comic yeah so about nine months
3: yeah yeah
5: Right before they cut everything.
1: Fuck. Like was, I, I just remember New 52, Like there were four books that I liked. Men of War is the only one that I can remember, which ended up being Sergeant Rock. It was fucking great. <laughs> and
5: those four books all oh, got cold. Oh, man. Yeah. Was right. all that good? I don't remember. I, I remember you saying that Maybe. you liked it. Yeah.
3: Static Shock was good Maybe. for one issue. And then <laughs> the uh, uh, writer who's John Rosam. Uh, left the book because of editorial differences, which pissed me off because that, I remember that going on because that was when uh, Zo- John Rosam was writing Zombie. And oh, zombie, zombie was... What? zombie no no no, zombie Zombie. oh okay not even that X-X-X-X-Zombie. it was just x-o-m-b-i oh x-o-m-b-i oh,
0: okay um
3: and that book was absolutely fantastic and it got killed by the new 52 uh, and it was like a reboot of a comic that he had done in the 90s <laughs> um, and it was really really good and then it vanished next question um, so this one is mostly for eddie eddie so you're, you're you oh, got some stuff to talk I'm about listening. Uh, Jesus again says, um, I know that 99% of you guys, well, it's not 99% because there's only five of us. It's 80%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: 80,
3: 80, yeah. 80% of you guys dislike DC, but I love DC. So I have some questions. I have some DC questions. Uh, and Eddie, here you go. Uh, Jesus says, by the way, that's why Eddie is my favorite. Um, <laughs> guess uh,
4: I, I'm loved as a cast member.
3: yep. Uh, he says, um, and this this will be for all of us, but but we'll we'll let you run him down because you're the DC guy uh, He said I was wondering what everyone's favorite DC movie live action is and then the the next three are favorite DC Superhero favorite DC super villain and favorite pulp hero and by pulp hero He means like the the 40s pre superhero DC guys like Doc Savage and the shadow and uh, those kind of guys So Eddie, what's your favorite live action DC movie?
2: Live action, I'm gonna say uh Dark Knight for sure. Okay.
0: The, that, first, yeah. the first of the Dark Knight.
3: No, that's the second. That's the second one. Batman begins is the first of that oh, trilogy. Right. So Yeah,
2: and, and the reason why and the reason why now, of course, you know, there's some part of me that wants to go back and say like the original nineteen eighty nine Batman. But here's the problem. The problem is, is when I go back and watch Batman and Batman Forever now. <laughs> Once again, physics physics is in question a lot on a lot of things, <laughs> and and it's like you know there's the great movies that stand the test of time, and then there's like some of the movies like well yeah it's still good, and then it's like now I like it because it's so bad, and those movies were good for their era for you talk about eighty nine and ninety one yeah, yeah yeah, but if those if those movies were released now as superhero movies, people would be they wouldn't go see the yeah. problem.
3: And it's it's um, weird because I've I've had the same experience watching the first Sam Raimi Spider Man again. Like mm-hmm. I really liked it when it first came out, but uh-huh. there are parts of it now that are just like uh, they're just horrible. I I still like that I still like uh, Spider Man two a lot, but the first one is uh, it's shockingly cheesy for as for the way we thought about it when it first came out. You know, and I—it's oh, yeah, the same sure. thing with Batman, right?
4: Yeah, yeah,
2: no, it's it's pretty much long lines. Like even though the cast, I mean, you think of the cast, I mean, Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, mm, uh, Michelle mm-hmm. Pfeiffer. Um, there's a couple others in there. I mean, Billy the cast Williams. is good. The cast is—it's very well cast movie. Even the first one with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Yep. But uh, I think I think those movies were ahead of their time in '89 and '91. Yeah. But, but it's like, what would it do? What would it do now? Like, you know, with the advances in movie technology and cinematics and, uh, you know, the incorporation of actual uh, modern, modern storybook telling and stuff like that,
4: Yeah, I I feel like... It's,
2: it's, ama- it's amazing just how far story storytelling has advanced in 20 years, uh, it, It's let interesting alone 30 or 40 years
0: to like kind of track Batman. Um because when I think of like Batman film, I do think that the the eighties nineties movies were like a, a step in a believe it or not more serious direction than like the Adam West show.
2: Oh, definitely, without a doubt, the Adam West show was a comedy.
0: Right, right, and then they're like they're still trying to maintain the the humor and like ridiculousness because it's you know Tim Burton and mm-hmm. everything's ridiculous so and I, Danny DeVito has a penguin. Cave, and I think but, I think
2: I can say the only reason I, I can still say I can enjoy those movies because I enjoy Tim Burton's directing style. Yeah. i enjoy yeah. the way he does movies can't and I enjoy the dark the darkness and the brooding and he was perfect to bring on to do to yeah. do those Batman movies. Did, I like
1: Did anyone movie. mention the Swamp Thing movie?
2: No. <laughs> what? Oh my
1: god. It's mm. from the early 80s. Lord.
3: It's a tr- it's a trauma film. Like it was it was actually nice. a Troma Swamp by Thing. Wes Craven, right? No, no, no. It was directed by Troma. Like wh- what the fuck's Troma's first name? Why can I not remember his first name? Uh we're looking it up on the internet. Internet's. Um
2: yeah, I but I would probably uh, I would g- definitely say if I had to pick a best, <laughs> it would be Dark Knight. Dark Knight's my favorite. Uh my least favorite is probably Superman Returns. I think it's a god awful shit movie.
3: Worse than Green Lantern? <laughs> oh.
2: Green Lantern is bad, but <laughs> Superman got so much hype though. Superman returns. Yeah, it's
3: true. And it was the and, I, hype. and I remember the thing about Superman Returns was that um it was their attempt. To still keep it within the same continuity as the Christopher Christopher Reeve movies, wh- oh, where it no, was oh, like it was a, it oh. was a, it was only Superman one and two. I understand they were tra- they were like they were ignoring three and four entirely, and then trying. It was basically supposed to be the same continuities continuing from Superman two, yeah. and it was like it was just a weird thing for them to try and do with a reboot, right? Um, so, yes, I. There are so many little things that i like about that movie but the movie is like kevin spacey was fantastic lex Luthor. uh i think he was poorly written lex Luthor. i think he was a great oh, actor poor, as lex Luthor. very Luther. poorly written um, my, my
2: big plan is to grow land in the ocean that's made made of kryptonite made of and kry- charge large, charge exuberant prices for yeah whatever <laughs> <are>, yeah
3: um <laughs> i really actually really liked brandon ruth as superman I thought, I mean, he was kind of just doing a Christopher Reeve impression, but yeah, he. Was. But I thought he was, I thought he was good. I don't think he's as good as Henry Cavill, but I think he was good. But the movie is, you're right, it's fucking terrible.
2: Oh my god, it's horrible! And then you know, I have a buddy who likes that movie, and he's like, "Oh, well, you got to look at it like it's a love story." And I was like, "Look, if I wanted to see a fucking love story, I'd watch The Time Traveler's Wife. I wanted to watch a fucking Superman. Like that's what I want. You know, I, I, I didn't want, I didn't go to the theater to watch The Notebook." <laughs> I went and I and, and, and you gave and you gave me Mona Lisa smile so it's like well,
0: no, there it's, weren't well, nearly like, enough uh, female uh, characters for it to be Mona Lisa smile. It was like um <sighs> Italian Jesus men Christ. of the Renaissance smile
4: sort of
3: <laughs> <laughs> i'm I'm in the same boat as you I think I think the Dark Knight is probably my favorite d c movie so far um there are there are comic books there there are comic books that were comic book movies that I can't remember whether they're d c or not so we I'm not gonna, Andy. but um Does anybody else have any other DC movies that they think are their favorites?
0: I really, like, like, are we allowed to talk about TV? Because I have more feelings about DC TV than I do about movies. I don't
3: see why not. It's not like we have any restrictions on what we talk about on the last episode of the show. Uh,
0: (laughs) uh, I would say Arrow and Flash are both fantastic. And they're fantastic Mm. for different reasons. Mm -hmm. They have slightly different feels. I think if I am, like, pinned down and have to pick one, I would pick Flash. Because it captures the sort of, like colorful lighthearted aspects of yeah, dc yeah. as well as the you know s- more serious archetypal aspects of dc hmm. um. you have failed this city <laughs> yeah i so,
1: um,
5: so i i have to <laughs> support my brothers and sisters so i have to say uh steel with shaquille o'neal <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, my yes. or 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 catwoman whoa or Catwoman. The, Cat Woman is, Catwoman, the Halle Berry
4: Catwoman, the Halle Berry Catwoman. Oh, the Halle Berry. Get out! <laughs> oh, <my> God, yeah. <laughs> Podcast over. I'm joking.
5: No, um, actually, <laughs> it's it's kind of <laughs> off of off of DC, but uh, the losers. I really like the comic oh, that's book. That's right. Was that, that is a DC book. I really book, like the comic it? book, and it was Vertigo. Yeah,
3: it's, was it's Vertigo. It, was was is, it Vertigo or Icon? It's Vertigo. It was. Vertigo. It was, it was oh, oh, then it's not DC.
5: Vertigo. Yeah, Icon, Icon is, is, marble. Icon yeah. is marble. Icon's marble. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I, I would agree there. I think, I think, just
5: because I like, I like group, I like ensembles. Oh, or and it ensembles or whatever, and it's I, got Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah.
3: I, Chris Evans, the Chris Evans sequence where he's breaking into the company to download shit off the hard drive, and he does the fucking he's fingers, he's the singing the gun fingers, the yeah. gun fingers and, and the beginning of that scene where he's singing uh, "Don't Stop Believing" <laughs> is fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it, I. I forgot all about the Vertigo styles because, like, it, I don't think it's my favorite necessarily, but I, I still hold that even though it's a bad adaptation of the comic book, mm. the Keanu Reeves Constantine is a good movie. Yeah, it is a good, g- it's a good adventure movie. It's not a good Constantine adaptation. No. You can't call it that. Like, He's
0: a terrible John Constantine. But I'm
3: gonna say I'm gonna say the exact same thing that I used that one of my buddies used to say about Starship Troopers. That Constantine is a fantastic adventure movie someday they will make a movie based on the comic book Hellblazer. Because like, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, he said the same, he's like Star Tro- Starship Troopers is a great sci-fi
1: movie. And someday, someday they will a make a movie based on Robert yeah, Heinlein's I, book. I, I seriously want to see like a, like hardcore, like political science type movie that is called Starship Troopers where it's just discussing the philosophy right? of school the entire time. <laughs> yeah,
5: <laughs> um, Watchmen's also pretty good. I, th- oh, I, I
3: actually really like Watchmen. There's yeah. a lot of people that hate that movie and I actually thought it was yeah. really good. V for Vendetta?
0: I, I liked it.
3: I love V for Vendetta. The thing about those two adaptations
0: of Alan Moore's stuff is as much as I definitely like the comics for both of those, and I've talked to some people who are like, yeah, movie was great, comics sucked. Um, And the reason why is because they tend to have these, like, overly complicated side stories that are going along with, and Mm. the movies just sort of distill it down and take the main plot line, and it's super effective for film.
3: And V for Vendetta specifically... I'm sorry, but that comic book is bad. Didn't, got, it didn't good. age it's well. It's got some interesting mm-hmm. ideas, but the problem with it was the original delivery method and the problems six that they had with series, or six issue six it, page six issues, page stories. six page stories in a magazine oh, that wow. ended. Huh. It was six page stories in a magazine that g- they got about a third or half of the Halfway. way through the story, and then the magazine fell apart. Oh, and so there was almost a two-year gap before they were able to finish the story, again huh. in six-page 6, six page chunks. And And you can tell, when you read it as a whole, yeah, it is really discombobulated. Mm. And And again, the ideas are fantastic. I thought that's one of the reasons I love V for Vendetta, the movie, so much, because it distills out all of the bullshit and just gives you the core of that story and the point and the, and it really handles, I think handles the characters really well. Mm-hmm. Like I really am a big fan of that movie. It's a good and enough
0: movie that there was an entire band just named after Natalie Portman shaved head.
3: <laughs> mm. Yeah. Let's move on to the next question. Everyone's favorite DC superhero. I think we know Eddie's answer to this question.
4: Oh, oh really? Please tell
0: me. Please tell me. <laughs> it's, it's Green Lantern, right? It's
1: Harley Quinn. It's plastic man. Oh,
0: it's Matter Eater Lad.
1: Actually, Plastic Man might be my favorite. <laughs> Eddie, get closer to the mic.
2: Wait, wait, wait. wait. There I you go. That sounds better. It's
3: Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. It's... However,
2: h- however, however, I think the more important question, because obviously my first favorite is, my second favorite I think would be the most important question, and it would be Wonder Woman.
3: wonder woman's actually going to be my pick for my favorite i'm not a big dc fan in general um i've discussed at length why i don't like superman um i like batman just fine but he's ubiquitous uh he's more of a cultural icon than anything else and i wonder woman is my favorite actual dc character and um i think she's got a very uneven representation over the years in her comic books. Oh, definitely. But yeah, definitely. when they do her right, she's fantastic. Azarella's Wonder Woman, regardless of Tony Akin's shitty art in the fill-ins, Azarella's Wonder Woman is awesome. So what is and, it about oh, Wonder yes, Woman? Sure, it was. You like? It was great. I, I like the fact that she, I like the fact that her motivations aren't always just gotta save the world or gotta save my city or gotta save Themyscira or gotta save blah, 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 blah. She's very mm. much, yeah, the for the, for the, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Fuck pronunciation. Uh, whatever, you know, yes, she does have this kind of like, um, I she's she's a good-hearted character, but there's this kind of interesting xenophobia in her that I really like where she's like the amazons uh, the rest of the world can go screw mm. um and I don't really give a fuck about keeping everyone else safe I'm just you know the amazons are are all important you know and that's the I like that part of her character that it's it's an it's kind of an interesting dichotomy between um like being a good person but also just not giving a fuck about Anyone else at times, you know, uh, not giving a fuck about people who are outside her, um, her society at times, and I don't know, well, I like I'm, a, I'm well, a, you
2: know, if you when you read Wonder Woman comics and you see her like, you know, a lot of the other heroes are very concerned with like property damage and shit, and uh, <laughs> Wonder Woman barely ever concerns herself with that. She yeah. just freaking pretty much gets there and gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have to have this like myth, this mythos of Superman, like. Oh well, he knows where everybody in the city is at at all times, so that's why no one ever. There's gets no hurt. collateral Whoa, damage. Shit. Yeah, fucking right. people are getting hurt. People are dying. Shit is exploding. Like there are human casualties, but Wonder Woman, I, I think, I think the reason why I like her is that she's more along the lines of uh, what I really, really do think that a a hero would be. Um, mm-hmm. Would would go there to get the job done, but there's so much they're there cons- they would not be so super concerned. Not, not what a hero would be, but what a person who was granted powers would be. You know, the concern for like not hurt, not having other people get hurt, and all that stuff around them. Like Wonder Woman. Has killed people countless times. Like he's yeah. all about it,
3: and there's never going to be so. a debate about that, right? Like there's like no, the Superman no, debate no. that that Jesus brought up earlier about well, you know does he kill people and stuff, and all of a sudden there's this years long debate about whether or not Superman kills or whether or not Batman will use a gun or anything. There's really none of that with Wonder Woman. You know oh, what? No, she, you know what she is. You know what she does. So because
2: she's along the same lines as Captain America, she's a warrior. Captain yeah. America is a soldier, and she is a warrior. She's mm-hmm. from a warrior race so yeah uh I, I think the biggest change that azarello made that i really enjoyed was actually making her a demby god yeah yeah uh as, as opposed to the whole you know she was born of sand and then she's you know <laughs> the magical powers like they they you know they they broke it azarello broke it down to as opposed the to god fighting god. bad guys on a skateboard and, say again <laughs> as
3: opposed to fighting bad guys on a skateboard.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Wonder, yes.
4: Woman. Oh. Wonder, Wonder
2: Woman, Wonder Woman, Joel. Yeah, I, so so I agree with you, Luke. Uh, Azalea's Wonder Woman, awesome. Yeah. I mean, probably one of, probably def, definitely, probably one of the top two portrayals of her over the years,
3: and next to John Burns. I think I like John mm-hmm. Burns' don't, run.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree, Joel. Uh,
5: you know, this is a hard one because there's not like I don't like Batman. I don't like Superman. I really like DC villains more than the heroes themselves. and We'll get to that later. So I'm sorry. I don't you have can one. Just, Maybe Green... You can- you can just Lantern?
3: so favorite John does not Stewart? mean that you think they're great, yeah. But you there has to be one that you're like okay, at least one that you tolerate, right? I mean, I mean,
5: I, I tolerate Batman, okay. You know, and, and the Batman movies are great, and and super Superman's just so so one note, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, Wonder Woman yeah is is great too, but I haven't seen like, a good story of Wonder Woman. So there's... And, like, I don't really care about any of the other superheroes. Um, so, like, the Green Lanterns is just a mess. So I really can't... I really can't think of one. All right. Pass. Andy? Plastic Man. Not yeah.
1: Elongated Man. Plastic Plastic Man cracks me the fuck up. <laughs> he's just funny. Like, his original, like, 70s incarnation, mm-hmm. where he's just goofy and wacky, is so different than, like the tone of every other DC hero. I remember watching cartoons of Plastic too. Man yeah. when I was a yeah, kid. Like, yeah. he, it's not like he has, you know, these like ramifications of I have to save the world. He's like, I'm going to turn myself into a giant pair of sunglasses because yeah. fuck you. <laughs> yeah.
5: In that outfit. And?
0: So if I have to pick like mainstream definite heroes that could be in the Justice League I would go for Wonder Woman for similar reasons sure, sure. I think she has balance to the force in ways that <laughs> neither Batman nor Superman do. yes uh, but if I'm allowed to you know pick a little bit outside of the mainstream Doom Patrol hands down um, okay yeah yeah the that was characters Vertigo, though, right? n- uh, yes yeah, although originally like, originally it wasn't I was say it was I think it's, mainstream it has
3: crossed over the the yeah. the blood brain barrier between yep. DC and Vertigo yeah uh, kind of like Constantine
0: did very much so and specifically within that team I think robot man is as a slash whatever his actual name is is a fascinating character because yeah. you know there's some good like probing of what does it mean to be human and I'm also of course a huge fan of uh, Rebus, who is the like combination of two humans yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and doesn't like a sort of omni-gendered and floats around and has badass powers so
3: but all right Eddie favorite supervillain
2: uh, Dark Side, and I'm gonna say Dark Side because every time he meets Superman, he kicks his ass.
4: <laughs> like,
2: you know, a lot Blind of Superman bullets. fans want to say, "Oh, well, you know, no." Dark Side. I've watched and read a lot of stories where Superman encounters Dark Side, and Dark Side, it's always a a like, uh, it's always a like a boom tube. Like he he activates the boom tube, kicks Dark Side back through the boom tube or Darkseid kind of gets bored and goes to do something else, or or Batman distracts Darkseid. Like, one-on-one, Darkseid always gets the best of Superman. It's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's got to be like a 70-30 split here.
3: Yeah. Darkseid's a good one. What about you, Joel? You said you like Uh, the villains more than the heroes, so which Uh, one's your favorite? Lex
5: Luthor. Yeah? Yeah, because his his superpower is that he's just...
3: He's evil. Elon Musk. Yeah, <laughs> no, he really is. He really, <laughs> no, really Elon, Elon, Musk. Elon Musk. But the thing
5: is, but the thing is also is that there have been times where he's become president. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. where he's not the villain, and he still you know is relevant mm-hmm. when he's when he's not a villain. But um, yeah, Lex Luthor, he's the guy that just beats people with his wits. Like, it, and he beats Superman all the time with just mm-hmm. his brain. Like it, Andy, favorite supervillain, DC brain not the movie version yeah, but actually yeah. the super smart version
1: that's just like yeah I'm mm. big and strong what's your point I'm also a fucking genius yeah mm. nice and
0: I'm going to throw one in for poison ivy I mean I feel like she's just the lesbian eco-terrorist that is is, <laughs> is waiting to be written as such. <laughs> That's so true, That's so true.
1: Hey, guys, uh, does anyone know if Deathstroke is a, considered a vigilante or a villain at this point?
3: I would say... I'd say he crosses the line, but I'd say villain is... It's fair to think of he, him as a villain.
2: He, he's he's also an anti-hero, and the reason why is because he's a mercenary, he's the highest bidder. So, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. I would actually flip my vote to Deathstroke. There. Deathstroke, okay. My vote is going to be for... My vote's a, my vote's for a weird one and it's partially nostalgia based because like all of these villains are fine they're they're I I like all of them and and like is you, it the like penguin? no 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 like like you said Joel like DC is way better at villains than they are at heroes mm. so their villains are actually really cool and it's sometimes cheesy but better but to be entirely honest because of nostalgia from watching cartoons when I was a kid, my favorite villain in the yeah. DC universe is Mysticlick.
5: Yeah, I was going to say like, that too. Plick
4: is awesome. Love I was really hoping Mix-l-plick.
1: I re- I was really hoping you'd just say a Marvel villain.
5: Oh, Mr. Plick.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just he was he was the best parts Wow, he was the best parts of the of the cartoons like the super friends and stuff when I was a kid right and he'd show up and like just he was like this prankster he was fucking he was Loki yeah and mm. he's he's fun and he's weird and he's stupid and he's fucking fantastic and so. his
5: name is hard to pronounce
3: yeah uh, saying it backwards. Last one is is not necessarily DC specific, but it's what's your favorite pulp hero? So back in the like the 40s and 50s pulp heroes. So Eddie, do you have one?
2: Yes, it's well, I guess 40s, uh, 40s and 50s. You know, I, I was thinking about this show, Freak. We were talking about it one day on the show. It's called like American Hero or 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 the greatest American like
3: hero greatest American hero, but yeah
2: oh my God, believe greatest it or not, American I'm walking on
3: there. I love that show
2: yes, yes, but that's not forties and fifties really no that's eighties it's it's, 80s. it's it does
3: have a it does have its roots in those old pulp superheroes though right like the the serial style like think like, like the shadow <inaudible> yeah, come yeah. yeah, come on d yeah. the shadow those kinds of characters do you have uh, any any like that Eddie? hell Rider, uh six gun gorilla I mean, I know what. Go ahead.
2: No, no. I mean, more, more so. I mean, for me, it's, it's really about I guess what they call. I'm really more of a modernist. Yeah. Uh, when it comes, when it comes to that type of stuff, I mean, I, I like the because the 40s and 50s, especially. I mean, the 40s gave us Captain America. But the fifties, they a lot of the they took a lot of the darkness out of the comics.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess they a like cow. a lot of realism,
2: and I know why they did that because after the war, they wanted to lighten the, you know, lighten the the view of society a little bit. Sure, sure. But um, I would say uh, let's see, let's see. Uh, come back to me. Let me think. Okay,
3: sure. I think I I I want to go with mine, and I and I'm not sure it's if it's because I like the original versions or the way it's be, or the way he's been updated. But mine is the Rocketeer. Uh, like Mm. rocket I think he actually started like if you look at the original versions of the Rocketeer it was like I think his original name was bullet man and then he was rocket man and then he became the rock yeah and then he became the Rocketeer but like the Rocketeer the the 89 or 90 was it 89 I think when the Rocketeer came out 89. 89 or 90 the Rocketeer movie from then is still fucking fantastic. Like I love that movie. It's such a great, like modernized take on an old 30s or 40s serial. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the com- the Rocketeer comics that have been coming out in the last five or six years are really, really good. They're so the stories are great, and they're they've got some really great talent on them. But um, yeah, if I'm gonna pick one, because like it, it was a it's a toss up between like. The Rocketeer and Alan Quartermain, but hmm. but the Rocketeer is like way less way less colonial racist than Alan <laughs> Quartermain. So I'm like, <laughs> you win. <laughs>
0: the less racist, the world. Uh, and uh, I got two. Uh, one is the very first female comic book hero, Ma Tornado.
3: Ma Tornado, who nice.
0: is from the '40s. She's a mother of two kids. Uh, she she it's, she might even be '30s actually. Because she's her costume is a red cape which looks like it's pretty much a tablecloth, and a, I think it's actually literally a pot with eye holes cut out.
4: Nice. But the thing
0: is, she's like a super like punchy like beat people up type of hero, and <laughs> and her kids come with her. They're like the tornado kids. It's it's yep. <laughs> that,
4: that's pretty uh, awesome, there actually.
0: has not been a a mother character like that. In comics for a very, very long time. Also, I would be remiss in in my duties if I did not mention Lady Satan, who is a fantastic, yeah. fantastic character. It's, her backstory is a little bit all over the place. Uh, she's from 1941. Uh, she, Her fiancé died because his ship got bombed by Nazis. So she's one of the sort of 40s anti-Nazis heroes. But mm-hmm. unlike you know people that fight them through you know punching or whatnot she fights them through black magic her name is lady satan <laughs> uh, so she's like one part spy one part dark magician
1: andy what about you so i have to say deadwood dick just so i can say Deadwood Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually hell rider is my favorite so he went to harvard then he joined the army he gets shot in the head and they can't remove the bullet, right? So he's like, "Yeah, do tests on me." <laughs> and so they inject him filled with drugs. It's like a proto Captain America. Okay. And the whatever gets put into his system, like dissolves the bullet that's lodged in his brain, it gives him superhuman strength. Sometimes, <laughs> mind you, he's also a kung fu master. Okay. <laughs> Wait, it gets better. Okay. <laughs> because when he decides to fight crime, he takes a motorcycle, gives it like a jetpack booster and a flamethrower. <laughs> So sometimes he's using kung fu, sometimes he's using super like you know super strength. There was a Chuck sometimes Norris movie he's, that was like Ghost, Ghost Rider, <laughs> Delta
5: Force. <laughs> All right,
1: it is the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, I also really like. I don't think it counts as pulp heroes, but the old Strange Tales that's like um yeah, 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 z- Zeta yeah. rays and stuff like that. Uh, Paul Pope did a really good interpretation of it in Wednesday Comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean,
3: it's not specific heroes, but those kinds of comics are definitely, like, they're they're super interesting. Yeah, like
1: uh, Planeta- or yeah, Planetary does a, a really good job of sort oh, of yeah. covering that era of heroes, and they get referenced a lot in sort of subtle ways by yeah. Garth Ennis.
5: Yeah. Uh, for me, it would be, I don't know if they're seriously comic books, but, like, um, Conan. Yeah. That yeah, would, absolutely. Yeah, like, I like Conan
3: and John Carter and John and, and John that, Carter was yeah. the other one. Yeah,
5: mm-hmm. I used to read the John Carter books and was super excited for that movie. Christina
3: is burning through those books right now. She she's she started a month ago on the f- or less than a month ago on the first one and she's on book like seven or eight right now. She's just oh, wow. screaming through the John Carter books. He's got yeah. me
2: beat because I because I was reading them trying to trying to, f- try to figure out why people had such a problem with the movie, and now I'm starting to see it. Um, and it's so funny because uh, I was gonna actually send send this reply to Anne. Uh, there was a conversation about um, diversity in movies and stuff. And you remember that? And I was, yep. yeah, I was yeah. talking about you know, the Empire and stuff. And uh, honestly, so I, just so it doesn't draw out too long, but basically in the book, um, he helps one of his friends who is a Thark, one of the one of the yeah. the four armed, six armed men, three men of Mars, become. Uh, jeddak leader of the tribe, mm-hmm. but in the movie, he does it. He becomes leader of the uh, tribe, and I think it's the same complaints that people have with like, even though it's a great movie, "Dances with Wolves," uh, you know, Avatar and it's stuff the, like that. It's where,
0: the colonialism where, narrative. Yeah, yeah.
3: it's yeah, it, right. it's the white the white savior. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. And I now I understand. I'll start, and then after reading the book, I'm starting to see. You know, they skip. They, there's a lot of parts that I think are very uh, integral to the story of John Carter that they skip in the movie. Mm. Well, so, so,
3: so here's the thing: is I think I like the movie. It's got some flaws. It's got some major flaws, but I think a lot of those things that got skipped were skipped because they were they were seriously trying to bill it as a franchise, and they were going to make at least a trilogy. And there was going to be yeah, a bunch yeah, of they, extra yeah. stuff that they never got to touch on because the, the studio interference just destroyed the first movie as far as like they didn't know how to fucking market it. They didn't know like they changed the name twice. They um, they were it was originally going to be called A Princess of Mars, and then they're like, no, that'll never sell. And then they, they were going to call it John Carter of yeah. Mars, and then they're like, well, we can't put Mars in the title because Mars Needs Moms just came out, and they we don't want to associate with that. And then they so they just called it John Carter, and then and but they called it John Carter, but they kept the JCM logo, and it was just a mess of marketing. Yeah. That the,
4: lar-
2: mm. the largest problem, to in my my in my opinion, was the fact that that book was originally written in 1917. Oh yeah, and yeah. the the problem is is just like there there wasn't there's not there was definitely for especially like teenagers, there's not a lot of teenagers this, these days reading reading books from you know yeah. from the, the early 1900s so how do you feel right, the racism just had no idea how to market it they had no idea what yeah. to do with
3: it and there's the things that they got right in that movie like I love the way they depicted Dejah Thoris like oh, she's yes, yes. so good like they picked the perfect actress they gave her oh, they, did. they gave her they way did. more agency than she has in the original books because nice. clearly in the original books she's just kind of the The damsel in distress, but but they gave her a lot more. Like the the scenes, she's in the forefront. She's fighting. She's taking swords away from John Carter and going get behind me. Kind of you know she's she gets to do stuff. She gets to Mm. do stuff, and she's a much better character. So there there's like so much that they they like they got right. And it's kind of a
1: shame that they didn't get to flesh out the rest of the series because I think it could have been really, really fun. So I want to jump on one thing real quick um, because Joel had mentioned Conan and I love Belit. Oh, yeah. The queen of the Broken Coast. Oh, Belit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay, I got it. I don't know if it's like I'm I'm sort of like going into like more modern interpretations of her and sort of blending it all together. But I just like the fact that she has her own agency because she's a queen because she kills people.
3: Yeah. Well, a lot of her, a lot of that, uh, was fleshed out m- way more in the comics than it was in the, I- books. In the books because like the Belit storyline that um Brian Wood wrote uh Queen of the Broken Coast uh black black Co- Queen of the Black Coast is what Queen it's of called the black, coast. Yeah. black Coast okay so his issue his run on the Conan comic was 30 issues i want to say or 20 28 something like ish. that and only the very first part like the first arc and the last arc were what was in the books, and everything in between was extrapolated by Brian Wood, uh, and in a very good way. Because like the original comic book, it was li- or the original books, it was literally like there was a story with Belite and there's a story where Belite dies, and you know there's and nothing really in between, and that's what it got extrapolated in the comic books. And I agree, I really like Belite as a character. We've got one more email from from uh, Jesus, and this one, this one I've got. I've got feels about. <laughs> I've got some opinions. Um, Ooh, tell feels. me about your comic feels. <laughs> okay, so this one is actually... Um, uh, this was... Uh, the <laughs> Try again <laughs> with words. Use your oh, words. No. This is kind of long, and it's it's uh, bringing up the whole Idris Elba as James Bond thing.
2: Well,
3: so. so before
2: you start, I just wanted to say quick draw McGraw, and then that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right. He says, so last week, the author of the new Bond book came out and said that Idris Elba was too street to play Bond, which is actually I'm going to I'm going to say right right now before I continue with this, that that was a that is a humongous oversimplification of what he actually said. Um, I couldn't agree less, but I do agree with him that in a sense, he said in a sense that he shouldn't be cast to play Bond Um and he says, it's not because he's black. I don't buy into the whole idea that Bond is a title. This is where he gets into his point. I don't buy into the idea that Bond is a title. And I really don't buy into the idea that Bond is a time lord. I own Totally and have, a theory. Uh, uh, yeah. I own and have read all of the Bond books, even some of the post-Fleming ones. Nowhere in them is this suggested. We're going to pause and say, of course it's not suggested. That is a fan. It's a fan theory that was brought up as a joke. It's 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 half sarcastic. It has nothing to do with like reality. Um, Nowhere uh, the ideas all stem from a stupid throwaway line that Lazenby says in His Majesty's Secret Service. Um, quote I bet this never happened to the other fella it was a joke line yeah of course it was a joke line in skyfall we see where he's from the groundskeeper calls him James we see graves of his parents Andrew and Catherine bond was written to be one thing and that's a fucking asshole he's a misogynistic homophobic uh and narcissist uh homophobic narcissist in other words he's fleming himself fleming looked in a mirror and wrote about white a white guy who is an asshole so i hate to say it but i feel bond needs to be white needs to stick to fleming's original concept i think that it would would be be a white asshole i think it would be somewhat disrespectful if not if we can wrap our heads around the fact that batman has only aged some five or six years in 75 years then why can't we think this way with bond Maybe all these missions, all these movies have taken place in a ten to fifteen year span and not a fifty year span oh okay, okay okay i have I have opinions, um, and the first of them is, yeah, fuck yeah, um, sorry, Andy's offering me bourbon, and I'm like, duh um so not just bourbon but
1: bullet bull- bourbon age ten years um
3: okay, so, yes, the original bond in the books was misogynistic homophobic narcissist fine yes yes an allegory for Fleming yes Fleming was a narcissistic homophobic oh that is the that is a weak poor sore sir come on you drive. Um, so but that does not mean that as society advances our characters can't advance with them um I don't think that it is so to to say you say. Hey you say needs to stick to fleming 's original concept, and it would be disrespectful if not and I wildly disagree with that f- that viewpoint uh, just because a character um, just because a creator creates a character, if that character moves beyond that creator in the general like societal zeitgeist, you have to be willing to let that character adapt with the times. Or you end up with a character like Bond. Bond in his original form, if you were to put that in a movie today, he would be a villain. He would not be uh he would not mm-hmm. be the good guy. And if he was, that, at most he would be an anti-hero. And the thing about that is that the, the concept of respectful or disrespectful when an artist's creation moves beyond them is I'm sorry to be blunt, bullshit. Like, that, there is... Respectful to the original character and the original creation, in my opinion, is to let them advance with society and create a character that is, that is more nuanced and more interesting and remains relevant to current society instead of just doggedly sticking to the original idea of the character. I think that's, I think that concept of doggedly sticking to the original concept is stupid, which is one of the reasons why I like the way that DC comics characters have evolved over the years and I things mean, have changed.
0: That's the thing of it. Think of Batman. Think of Superman. All of these characters are not necessarily stuck to the creator's original vision. Wonder Woman certainly isn't. Yeah. Um, she totally had Superman. <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: Go ahead. The, the the needs to be white statement is factually incorrect. Well, um, I, th- I, I <laughs> see
0: his point in terms of if he's going to play this bigoted asshole, it would be oh, logical for okay, him to be fair. a white bigoted asshole.
3: Yeah. yeah, but it is not necessary to stick with the bigoted asshole aspect of Bond's character. I don't think that that is the defining aspect of James Bond. I think that that was like you said, it's Fleming projecting, but the defining aspect of James Bond is he is a suave super spy and he has this, you know, for this British agency and his, it's his job to save the world from as, you know, part of being a spy. But like to, to say that, to say that his misogyny is, is core to his character. I think, I think that's disrespectful to the character because just because, and I'm saying this as a creator, if I put something into a character that people think is stupid that is a valid point. Like it just because I create it doesn't make it right. Um just because I create it doesn't make it relevant, right? Um and and there's there's a ton of shit that like guys like Bob Kane and Stan Lee did, you know, creating characters. There's a ton of we were just talking about like John Carter, right? There's a ton of shit in John Carter that wouldn't play today. And you can't you can't just be so in like invested. S- invested in the source material that you can't watch it evolve. Well, and now, if
0: you're going to do that, then you need to make a period piece and stick sure. with it and maybe have some points about it a la madman. Or yeah. just go straight on misogyny and then you have the book Parker which I should have hey. mentioned in the things that I didn't like not because it's a like a badly plotted book or and it's obviously a gorgeous book but I read it and I'm like wow yep this is 60s misogyny not my bag and that's the thing that's
3: the thing about Parker is that the the Parker comic book is is a literal translation of the of the books right he takes the book as a script and puts pictures to it and yeah. um, I have seen other adaptations of Parker as a character that I really like like Payback. The, like Payback. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, he's the to me, like let's use Parker as an example of the, the of the whole um you know needs to stick to the original concept. If you look at Parker in The Hunter, the original concept and the core to Parker's character is not any of his 60s misogyny no. it's the fact it's it's he just he, wants five hundred dollars to get paid he just wants to get paid that's oh, all want he wants $2. right and he's trying and that is what keeps the the core of the character alive yeah he's kind of an asshole and he's very straightforward but he's just he just wants his money
1: it's so like um, those those books and the slash movie is so funny because literally it's like chump change, and no one wants to pay him until they're almost fucked. And he's like, "You had your chance.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I I don't know. I, I think it's dangerous to have this idea that um, that of of respect or disrespect for for um, an original creation being tied to such little minutiae uh about the character because there's there's plenty of what i think i think the remake of casino royale with daniel craig is hugely respectful to its source material but update it updates it in a way that makes it um that makes it relevant for as a current spy thriller mm-hmm. right and you have to be willing to evolve. If you're not willing to evolve, you're Kim Davis. And it's just really fucking, it's a really fucking dangerous precedent to set, to sit, to say that this character, because he was misogynist in the Mm fifties means he has to be misogynist. Now. I don't think that's true. I don't. And I, I really, really strongly fucking disagree with that concept. Now on the concept of Idris Elba playing bond, um, I, of course he can play Bond. Like, of course he's suave enough or whatever. The, the he's, of course is, he's should he? Should he? No. No. Um, and part the biggest. I mean, beyond all other weird fan reasons that I could come up with for him not wanting, not playing Bond, the you biggest reason is he don't want him to he, be the
1: guy who's the Black Bond.
3: That's it. He doesn't want to do it. Right for that reason. For he the want to because be the token. he doesn't want to be labeled the Black James Bond. And I can see that. That's totally awesome. Right. Like, it, it's. It would be it would be lame, and Idris Elba is a fantastic actor and w- is worthy of his own franchise, yeah. which would be awesome. Mm. Um, but I just uh, no, I don't think that I don't think that Bond needs to stick to Fleming's original idea. I don't think even I don't think even a lot of the the Connery and Moore movies stuck to Fleming's original concept. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I uh, I don't think that I I, I disagree with with pretty much everything he says in this particular e- email, um, which is not the first time that I've disagreed
1: with you, Jesus. But, but, um, Luke, don't worry, Luke disagrees with everyone.
4: Oh, so I,
3: absolutely. absolutely.
1: It doesn't make me wrong. I, um, so, that, I, ooh, that, Real quick, that reminds me of a tangent. There was one episode where Luke and I agreed and we were on one half of the debate and Anna and Jill were on the other. And we mm. got done recording and this happened off air. And Luke and I were just staring at each other like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, And that's the only time it's ever happened. Yeah.
3: We've agreed occasionally, but not to the degree where it was like the whole episode. We were like, yep, yep,
1: yep. absolutely, yep. This was like this one episode is like, huh
0: you can judge what kind of book we're doing based on who liked it and who didn't. Like, I mean, it's kind of, if everyone liked it, who knows what kind of book that is. But if it's the one that Andy and I liked and Joel and Luke didn't.
1: <laughs> it's like, <laughs> fuck you. Uh, it's gonna, yeah, okay. This I know what kind cur- of
0: book that is. This is, yeah. It's gonna be weird, dark, and over-intellectual. <laughs>
3: For the last month now, since we've been delayed a couple of times and there was, like, conventions that I was going to in between, uh, we have read through the entire run of Preacher. Uh, Preacher has been kind of described... It is considered, I think, kind of the seminal vertigo work. Like, it is... I would don't you
0: strongly say disagree for exactly the reason that Andy. What
1: <laughs> I said, don't you say Sandman? I was like, like, I saw the look at Anne's eyes, and
3: I think that I don't. So, Sandman, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I think Sandman is definitely a, one of the top probably four, three or four I think important
0: it has works there. Greater cultural traction. Uh,
1: I disagree completely.
3: I uh, greater okay, here's the thing. Enjoy I your think, clove
1: cigarettes over in the corner with your other girlfriends. Right.
3: I do I think that Sandman has greater cultural traction outside the comic book community. Okay, I think that's entirely co- fair. I think Preacher is the comic book community's like vertigo seminal vertigo work it's more that
0: people like. that don't read other comics are likely to have read Sandman yes. more people that read lots of comics are likely to have read preacher yes
3: mm. um, I did not read preacher when it originally came out I I read so this is in the same era because it because this was preacher was just before transmetropolitan right so this for me is uh, this is not the first this is actually my second read through of preacher um, I talked about this on the, over the course of the over, over the course of the show because 7 years and you still
1: don't speak clearly no, sometimes. No, clearly.
3: Literally um it's been the over the course of the show that I have picked up all the preacher deluxe editions. Like they started coming out just before we started the show and they ended they the last one came out like a year and a half ago, um or a year ago. And That's how I read them. When I first, when I finally got all six volumes, I read them straight through, Um, and uh, I'll get into it a little more later. But I think it, um, I, I I really liked the book on my first read through, and a lot of it fell apart for me on my second. Um, But this is, I think, one of the most important. Non superhero books in the comic industry. When it came out, it was wildly different than other other things that had come out. They mm-hmm. had they gave Garth Ennis so much leeway. They gave um, oh, what's the artist's name, please? Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon. They get this was this was Steve Dillon's like rocketing him to stardom and g- given him giving him the opportunities to do things like Punisher. Um, and his runs, his runs both on the Marvel Max Punisher and Punisher, Punisher Max. Max. Like he did, he did. They're the, both called Punisher Max. Sure, he did. Or so no, Marvel confusing. Knights was what I was trying to say. Didn't it's he do Punisher the, Max?
0: Everything is Punisher Max, Luke.
1: The Jessica Jones books, Punisher, Punisher Max. Max. <laughs> the Spider Man book, Punisher Hawkeye, Max. Hawkeye, Punisher Max. Archie, Punisher
4: Max.
3: Yeah. Um, oh so. And Steve Dillon is an is an artist that I'm mostly indifferent to. Um, I think he's okay. Uh, I don't think he's fantastic. I, um, but I think this story was perfect for him. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I remember this comic. Like, uh, even though I didn't read it when it came out, I remember it as it was coming out because everybody, everybody talked about it. Mm. Like, uh, the whole comics industry was a buzz about this comic because Humperty it addressed. Do. Yeah, <laughs> it addressed. <laughs> um sometimes in kind of a grotesque or, or sometimes. way. sometimes well it, it it there were plenty of comics that were coming out like Sandman, Lucifer, um, Books of Const- Magic, Constantine Books of Magic that were that were starting to have A lot more like religious tones uh as mythology religion as mythology um especially christian mythology you know as part of their storylines and i think this was one of the first books that was pretty much um yes it's all real and yes they're all assholes right kind of that had that kind of attitude toward it that um that made it super controversial for its Mm -hmm. time it's the the violence the the religious tones the the like the the main characters being kind of shitty people, yeah. uh, <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, we're all the, we're all a big deal at the time, and that's. Um, the, I think the thing that I wanted to talk about with this book the most is, and we can get into the details of the writing and the art and the story later on, but I think the thing that interested me the most is when you you have to kind of look at this book back. It is one of the few that we've read that really requires. Uh, you to look at it from the perspective of its era like when it came out you know it's it's it's
0: pushing 15 years the only book that's like that and this is funny to hear because I'll some some books that I reference y'all are like oh but that's so you know stuck in this era it's not relevant because it's you know a product of the time I
1: I will strongly disagree with that it's relevant for its era
0: I mean I think it is but it goes beyond that
1: I I think it's much better like okay yeah I think it's a story about redemption for three specific people Cassidy Jesse and Tulip and each of them have their own arcs and they intertwine and whatnot and having read it you know when it was coming out and the end of of issue I think it was six when Tulip gets shot in the head you're like what the fuck yeah yeah and then she's brought back the next issue like okay no big deal God saved her and she wanted to give Jesse a message it's like okay that was not like not knowing sort of how this whole thing plays out and not having like anyone ever mention it it was a phenomenal book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think uh one of the interesting
3: things about those redemption arcs that you're talking about is the contract like at the very end especially how they contrast the redemption of every character jesse's yeah. redemption comes from realizing his mistakes and just accepting that there are things in his life he will lose because uh, because of the way he's lived it um, cassidy's redemption comes from Sacrificing himself for a friend, he spiked, uh, and then, um, and then Tulip's redemption comes from uh, being strong enough to walk away. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's it's really that's probably the most interesting thing about the book. But that comes at at the end um, because everybody in this book is re- is is flawed. Uh, an un- unrepen- flawed, an unrepentant fuckwad to yeah. some degree. At, at the uh, beginning of the book, absolutely, yeah, um, and.
1: Saint of Killers especially. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, uh,
3: my. <laughs> I, I, and I'm going I'm going to mention my f- literally my favorite single page moment in the entire book at the end is when or they not drop when they drop the bomb <laughs> on Saint of Killers in the middle of the desert not and it's a and he's like not enough gun. Is all these <laughs> I'm just like that is
0: fucking fantastic. I mean, what do you like in go you So in one of the I, I read this in trade paperbacks and in one of them, there's an introductory essay by Garth Ennis, and he's talking about how this is a Western, which, of course, it's a Western, but yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He, uh, he was talking about, you know, the concept of, like, the, the good guys will be all noble and shit, and the, although that's patently untrue, but whatever. They get that. The, the, they do. Uh, the I, I hate Jesse Custer less at the end than I did at the beginning, which count that for a win uh the the you know the bad guys will be really bad and the sidekicks will be really wacky and i think that's very very true um so for me it was helpful to think about the western structure when i was reading through i'm not sure if like i don't think he was subversive to the western structure as much as he just followed the western structure
3: oh it's absolutely just a modernized like uh interpretation i don't think there's there's no subversion there no, at all. No, I, I think w- I don't think he was that's trying because, to be subversive.
0: No, he wasn't of that structure. The things that he was trying to do were to be to to put like you were saying, Luke, some of this religious as mythology stuff deal with that head on and and really just trying to push the boundaries of comics yeah he was crossing
1: all the lines that he possibly could see what he could get away with yeah uh, i'm gonna go off on a little tangent so one thing that is really interesting about this is that afterwards the next thing he does that's really big is the boys Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that one he was trying to you know like basically he'd you know broken a bunch of rules and pushed the boundaries as far as people had done before and so when he goes on to the next one i love the boys but it definitely went too long and it was just, he was doing stuff for the sake of shock at that what, point. Uh, okay, now here's what something.
0: What th- like a 30 or 20 second recap of the boys?
1: Government team given superpowers to keep superheroes in check. Things go real bad real quick. The superheroes like Superman are complete dicks mm. and monsters and okay. the collateral damage that they cause uh, it deals specifically with a character whose wife mm-hmm. or his fiance gets killed mm-hmm. in the first issue from a collateral damage from a superhero fight. Mm-hmm. He is given superpowers to fight back against the superheroes.
4: Okay, yeah, yeah.
3: I'm, and that's actually one of the things that I wanted to bring up since we're talking about Garth <coughs> Ennis as a writer. Um, I think that uh, I think that Preacher created a monster. Um, <laughs> now, there's a lot of people who Garth Ennis they they love garth ennis and i don't think he's a bad writer i'm never ever going to say that because yeah. i think he's actually a phenomenal writer mm-hmm. um my problem with garth ennis over the years since preacher is that um <clears throat> he has kind of become a comic book shock jock he his yeah. his uh preacher opened up boundaries for him which is cool. He was allowed to be like Preacher was very much a holy shit we can do this in comics kind mm. of kind of moment and um, unfortunately I feel like that's what that's the only note that Garth Ennis latched on to for the rest of his career. Yeah. So y- you go to the boys, you go to his run on Punisher, you go to Crossed, uh, Crossed and it's all just what kind of shock can we throw in and and even the punisher which is tamer in a lot of ways than preacher but not when you look at it from the standpoint that it's a mainstream marvel book but right it's not a mainstream marvel it, book uh, marvel Nights, Max, whatever it's a side stream it's a it's a mainstream character right and that's the that's the key They've it's made not a just movies out of them. it's not just a vertigo thing where it's a it's a side character this is a this is a mainstream a to b list marvel character that he did things in his book where you could tell it was just like ooh
1: i can get away with this so as a tangent like sort of as a counterpoint um i feel like yes i can see where you're going with this however the nice thing about it is that if you want someone to write a story where they're not there's no reservations they're just going to write whatever they think is appropriate for the mm-hmm. situation no matter how brutal or gory or sexualized or whatever it is garth ennis has done a fantastic job of that but Punisher I see- max is great because like if you look at like the original punisher where you know he's killing guys and whatnot it's still kind of comedic like there's a, a punisher cover of the original run where he's standing over a taxi cab and he's about to kill a taxi driver yeah, he, yeah. And, like there's a pun you know and he's got the shotgun pointed down but if you look at like M-
3: punisher max uh, the and Barracuda- we're talking Punisher Max, not Punisher Max. Yes. Because Punisher Max, for listeners, when we say Punisher Max, we're talking about Garth Ennis's run. Punisher Max was Justin Jordan. Not Justin Jordan. Justin Jordan? J- Jason Aaron. Jason Aaron. Thank mm-hmm. you. I, and like, that's I, the one I, that we read on the show. And that's yeah. the one that we read on the show, and that's not what we're talking about
1: right now. We're talking about the original. Oddly enough, still Steve Dillon on the art for yeah, both yeah. of those. But um, <laughs> the thing about it is, is like the Barracuda storyline, like people get killed in horrible ways. Like... People are just shitty people, and yeah. it is comedic only in as like how hyper violent it is. Yeah, but it's not like the Punisher throwing out puns when he's you know shooting people in the face with a shotgun. Punisher, man. Oh, oh, man. Man. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ!
3: <laughs> uh, no, I I don't disagree there, and I think that I think that Dylan or that that Garth Ennis was the the right choice, especially for a Punisher book, right? Because Punisher, I think. That was the the Marvel Knights and Max era of Punisher was when people realized what he should have been, yeah, which. A, a Vietnam vet whose family was killed by the mob and turns to turns to into a venge- like an avatar of vengeance in in order to get back at that is Doesn't not quip off somebody one-liners. is not the guy that's going to be you know romping around with Spider-Man that's and that's I think that's cool but I let's think go that, fight
1: Stilt Man Punisher yeah oh God why are you shooting him
3: <laughs> but I do think that Garth Ennis um, I I do think that. One of the reasons I like Punisher Max is because I do think that it is Garth Ennis with some reins on him, where there is an editorial team going, you can't, there are things you still can't do. You can do a lot because we want you to be gritty and you're the right guy to make this gritty, But there is still you still have to back off and the reason why that's good is that those limitations force Garth Ennis to tell a good story Mm. um, as opposed to something like in my opinion the boys or crossed where there are glimmers of story that are worthwhile in there totally overshadowed by how gruesome and how over the top can we make this
1: see like that's where i just I, i think like his original crossed story is a brilliant modern horror story yeah it is sure i mean the the stuff after that we won't go into because either you like it or you don't you, you know and that's totally cool if you don't but the original story, when they're just trying well, to thank, figure out... thank
3: you for your validation. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: no worries. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, so the original story itself, you know, you have a situation, and he gets to explore how humans react to this... You know, Very surreal situation where it's literally Life or death and they make horrible choices And they sacrifice people And people make dumb mistakes and they Pay with their lives for it That first eight issues that he did Was great because it's not like There's a happy ending they made it to Alaska Where hopefully the cross will Freeze to death right, right. that you don't know what ha- I mean they just they you know they're on their way to their goal yeah. That is the end of the story mm-hmm. And it's really smart it's really good And yes it is shock jockey but that's okay because it's a horror story. That's like saying, you know, Friday the thirteenth, you know, it was a little bit too gory for the slasher type of movie that I like. Uh I,
3: I mean, I don't necessarily agree with your the the way you phrased that, but I understand where you're coming from. Um I just think that uh I think that Ennis allows um he allows some of that to overshadow his storytelling sometimes. And that actually happened in Preacher a Mm. lot. I think that... um, And that's where I'm going with this, is that in, like, the first half of Preacher, right up until the point where he falls out of the airplane... War in the Sun. ...is... I think is what people is what people love about Preacher. It's everything that I love about the dynamics between the characters. I love Jesse Custer. Saint of Killers is fucking fantastic. I think um, they the storyline just it plays out really nicely. Um, everything has its place. Even the story, even the kind of side story where they go to New York and end up, uh, you know, getting the cop like the getting taken by the serial killer guy, yeah. the journalist. Um, Oh, sorry, journalist. Yeah. Like, all of that, it was tight. It fit together really well. And then after he falls out of the airplane, it really, really feels like Ennis was either trying to stretch too little story or didn't have any fucking clue where he was going. Um, Like, I honestly believe that, and I'm pretty sure this is backed up by interviews and stuff, that they never expected this comic to go this long they like they did not expect it to be a 60 issue run they were expecting it to get you know shit canned 10 or 15 issues in i think Um, it
0: would have about 50 issues would have been great because it would have made them tighten up mm -hmm, that last half mm -hmm. and like uh
3: (laughs) so and like the thing that like the thing that i said to andy before the show there are entire sections of that second half that are just complete literally completely superfluous that mm. you can strip Arsface can be stripped entirely out of this comic book and have zero effect on the actual book.
0: The um, like I think he wanted that for the sort of like neat side character thing in terms of like the
3: It's yeah. so
1: good though like when the guy shows up on the motorcycle helmet and he takes his mask off and you're like oh god what happened
3: to you? so in the, in the beginning, when he sh- first shows up, like when his dad kills himself, like that whole storyline of introducing R's face f- is fine. It's great. And when he showed up in the motorcycle helmet as effectively this kind of like Avenger of, of and then gets the down, Um, it it seemed like he was going to do something cool and then didn't. And that's yeah. why. And I think the, that was then, the point. Though. He, he gets ah.
0: shit on constantly.
3: And but he gets this is one of those things where it's like it's you might like it as a side story but it's bad storytelling I disagree because it is distra- it is not it's just, distracting from the it's main distracting story it's distracting from that. the story it's not adding to it mm. it would be fine like Arsface's story would have been fine as a miniseries separate from the main book but including those bits in the main <clears> storyline actually I just wanted to skip them I just every time fucking R's face showed up, I just wanted I'm just like, get get this fucker out of my face. I don't care. And Um That happens a lot in the later parts. Like, I really, really hated um when Jesse comes back to life and he finally comes back to civilization and he sees Cassidy and, and Tulip kiss and then just yes he falls over and he's like holy shit something weird's going on and that was a very cartoony moment yes, I thought. yes that, was, it a, that was. was a very like that was one of those weird slapsticky like out of place moments i hate i hate the fact that he was just like oh i saw him kiss fuck him bye Me and that too. leads into that leads into the longest most pointless fucking stretch of that comic book now That being said, the Odin Canon side story is not a bad story in and of itself. It does not belong in that part of the comic book. Agreed. I would have loved to have seen them find a different way to separate Tulip and Cassidy and... and Jesse. Uh, Jesse and have that Odin Cannon thing happen way earlier in the book it did yeah. end up feeling like a like a rehash of the serial killer storyline a little bit but it didn't belong where it was and it lasted too long for that part of the comic Can I talk book.
0: about Tulip for a while? Go right ahead. So a Tulip is my favorite character uh but this this is the the problem that she faces in this book and I mean keep in mind this is like this is a book of this era that neatly passes the Bechdel test on like multiple occasions. Tulip is a fantastic character. Uh and she's got her friend Amy that yeah, she yeah, yeah. like um, Yes, they talk
1: about a man, but there's They talk
0: about other stuff as, as well. Stuff.
1: Like there are multiple instances where a female talks to another female about yep. something other yep. than a man. Yep.
0: But specifically with Tulip. And here's this ties into the whole thing where like I guess I'm talking about Tulip mm-hmm. and Jesse because so when I watched this is a story that is, will become relevant. I have a point, I promise. Uh, when I watched Rushmore, I felt like I was supposed to like the main character and I hated him because he was a shit and I didn't care and I didn't want to watch his story. Kind of a similar thing going on with, with me and Jesse Custer, honestly. Uh, like I, his circumstances are compelling, but as a person, he's a shit and I dislike him. And it's when he gets put in situations where there's this super predictable interaction with him and Tulip. It go. I mean, we all know the script. It goes like this. Tulip, hey, maybe I can come with you on your adventures and help you and do stuff. Him, no, no. It's not that I don't think you're a delicate flower and, you know, I respect your feminism and shit. But, like, no, because I'm a cowboy and I have to be by myself. Her, you're being a dumb shit.
1: But that's the point of the character. Jesse needs to break <sighs> out of that. But in he order- doesn't. But he does. Wh- how? He's like, yeah, you can come to Alamo.
0: Yeah, but he was lying.
1: He drugged her. Right. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying... But, like, he realizes he, he did break out of he anything. Didn't learn shit. I, I disagree. Oh, I think.
0: God damn it. Uh, even the end. I mean, honestly, throughout the... First off, I was like, when, when Cassidy's like, oh, I love you and stuff, I was like, all right, yep, sure, go with the vampire. Vampire good. Fuck this guy. So in the-
1: Cassidy turns out to be a dick. Well, he's, he's not a dick. He's just incredibly weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And careless. I mean, careless. And, and, and
0: reasons And But these are all compelling reasons for... I was like, you know what, Tulip? Fuck all of them, you and Amy. Right? Just Thelma and yeah. Louise out of there. <laughs> I,
3: I I think one of the problems that I had with the way that it handled it at the end is that it felt the the leaving of Tulip behind at the end felt super contrived as a so there's this thing when you're when you're writing believable characters you don't want them to make all the right decisions all the time Oh yeah, because you as a writer have the ability to think through every single decision they could possibly make and then you know logically most people's brains are like well of course they would do this because it's the most logical thing but then you have to think in the characters mind do they have the time to make that decision and sometimes writers will go in the opposite direction and purposely make characters make bad decisions because it, it maybe it furthers the plot mm-hmm. maybe it makes the character more interesting the decision to leave her behind at the end did not feel reasonable for the course that the, ki- that the story had taken I felt like he up until learned. that point. because Specifically because of the fact that he had been separated from her in a storyline that I fucking hate and had a chance to redeem himself there and didn't. It sucks to me that his redemption comes with him having to give her up Right? And that's that, and because that's what happens in the last issue of the comic book. The only way he redeems himself is by saying, yep, I fucked up, bye. And I hate that because I think it would have, I think the story could have played out literally identically to the way it did without him drugging her, without him taking yeah. that step. And it did not feel like a reasonable character mistake. It felt like a contrivance to piss off
1: readers. No, I I feel like... So, I think that part of it is that he is so fucking stubborn that literally he has to make a mistake that kills him before he can change his ways, which is why it works.
0: But the thing is, the very last issue... Correct me if I'm wrong on the plot here, but, like, he and Tulip... Do the thing where they have caught up and is like, Well, you're alive. That was awkward. You sure did that shitty thing that you do to me always. Yeah, maybe I'll just leave. Okay, and that's her redemption moment, right? Where she's like, "Actually, I'm done. I'm done with you and your shit." But but that gets taken out from under her, yeah. and his redemption yeah. gets taken out because he ends up back on the fucking horse yep. and they ride into the fucking sunset. It
3: resets. The only character that doesn't get reset to beginning is Cassidy. Yeah, and he gets reset to prior to pre-vampire Cassidy, which is fine for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. I like the way that happened. But both Tulip and uh, and Jesse have this weird, like inevitability storyline where they're like, "Yeah, are meant ti- to be together." Our timeline is set. We can't fuck it up. There is no, you know, they when it should have been a. There is no fate, but what we make for ourselves. Moment where, uh, the, here's the thing, Jesse. Say Jesse doesn't abandon her at the end. She dies. No, uh, absolutely not. She gets killed in the Alamo unless she shows up late. That's fine. Make her show up late, but don't ab- you don't have to abandon her to make that happen. Make it a plan. Like, make tell make it a plan for her to be the one that is trying to stop the sniper from killing Jesse and she fails and then kills kills Star. That's fine. But but then it was the failed. leaving. It was the leaving her behind, and then the you know the, okay. the, no, the, the it would have horse at the no, end no, that me, undermines, this, right? okay. undercuts every th- bit of development if, that if they have.
1: Okay, follow me through. Je- okay, so Cassidy and Jesse both need to die in the Alamo, right? Okay, they, yeah, they have sure. to, Right. Okay, if Tulip shows up and she fails, then that wrecks Tulip. She can't deal with that. She goes back to drugs.
3: I don't think she has time. That's yeah. the that's the thing. Like. the 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 interval between the time jesse dies and the time that they reunite is not long enough for her to have to have that moment because i think that and i i in fact think it would have been a way more interesting character moment for for her to fail for Jesse to technically die, for her to take out her vengeance on Air Star and kill him, and then make the conscious decision not to go back to drugs, and then make still make the conscious decision to give Jesse up at the end. I think it become it makes would her a be way... way more interesting. No, yeah. than because she's okay, got. follow
1: me through this. If she fails to save Jesse, she blames herself for that.
0: The but idea if her did. redemption is but that's because giving up of Jesse's
1: choices not hers
0: exactly she's robbed of agency
1: no Ding. no no because she's not if she fails because of her own mistakes she's I love how we're like hypothet- you know, hypothetically going through this but if she goes uh, if she fails because of her own choices yeah she has no one to blame but herself yeah if she fails because of Jesse's choices and Jesse is murdered because of that so, and then she avenges Jesse
0: I yeah I, I, don't know. I think that's squicky. I don't like so, Okay,
3: it. so I'm gonna pause here because uh Joel and Joel and Eddie have been dead silent through this. So <laughs>
0: let's start talking.
3: What do you guys think? Go ahead, Eddie.
2: Okay, I was just trying, it was like double dutch. I was trying to find a spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna step away for a second. <laughs> and there was just like, no, there was just there was just no spot. Um so the book starts uh, it starts off great. I mean, when I start what I read through the first uh ten issues, I was like I think it's 10 yeah the first 10. Yeah, yeah. The first 10 I was like I was excited. I was like, man, this this is good. The this the story was flowing. There was a an obvious plot. It was it, it like um the art was average, but um I didn't I didn't think it was like exquisite or something I'd never seen before, but it had a rough it had a rough rustic feel to it that I think was supposed to uh to, supposed to support the like i guess maybe some of the western style style elements of it, yeah because, yeah, it was, yeah because it took place mostly in the south and like in texas so so i was like okay i can get them i'll get on board with that um and then
3: and just, then
2: and then it just goes off a fucking cliff like i'm like what happened to this great book that i was reading i mean there's a lull of of, of nothing of events yeah. that like luke was saying that could have totally been stripped from the like the almost the entire middle portion of this whole run yeah. could have been pulled out and you wouldn't even notice yeah
3: i really I mean, really you, you like would, you
2: wouldn't be affected at all you wouldn't feel like you've been cheated <clears throat> of the story or, or anything yep. you wouldn't even fun- i mean the there is whole a large port, there's a there's a point and i forget how many i i started counting but there was a point where they don't even mention genesis for like 20 issues. Yep. Yep. And the I'm whole
3: like, Odin Quinn storyline where he becomes the sheriff of that town, he I think he he never uses the word or maybe uses it he once. He does like twice. It's like once or twice. And yeah, and they never mention genesis and they barely mention any of the other characters and I like this concept of the storyline where he goes and he finds his mother back in his hometown and stuff. But I feel, like I said, and I think you agreed with me when I said this earlier, Eddie, that I think it if that whole storyline had been shifted like 15 issues earlier in the run, it would have made a lot more sense uh, for the development of the characters and the way that it went.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I, it's just... Like I said, you know, you start on such a high point with the beginning of the story. And then I could definitely say, like, if I was getting this in issues uh, and individuals, I probably would have stopped reading it and I probably would have never made it to the end.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think um, like when I was reading this again for the second time, I think one of my things that um, I wanted to see, like uh, when I when I rearranged the storyline in my head I think it would have been much more interesting for after the first encounter with, after the first encounter with Airstar at uh, the Grail when they kill the 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 all-father, they kill the all-father and Humperty-Doo. I think it would have been really more interesting for something to have happened that would have separated Jesse and, and Tulip and Cassidy where Jesse thinks they are dead. Like, yeah. r- like flip the story on its head yeah, where Jesse thinks yeah. they are dead, and that's what sends him to to, to that town. Like, he's like, sure. I tried to do this thing, and I was not ready for it, and I got my friends killed. I'm going to go – I need to take some time away. But that's
1: Cassidy's story constantly. Cassidy's <laughs> actions always lead to people close to him either – dying horribly no, becoming addicted fair. to drugs like that's that's a, a rehash of a story well, that already va- telling
2: he's a vampire I mean that's kind of a- so instead mm-hmm. we get
3: instead we get a character who shouldn't make the decision to just leave and does anyway like that doesn't that's that's the problem is it doesn't like the decision to leave and go become the sheriff of some little town right in the middle of his quest to find God uh, really kind of undermines Jesse as a character to yeah. me hmm. and I like the things that come out of it yeah i like i like him finding his mom i like him i like uh his uh through line with the nazi guy um i <laughs> meet fucker no 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 the nazi the the oh, the guy that was yes. hiding in the town yeah and uh, I mean, Odin but Queen Cannon's over second. the top and all this stuff. but And I like the little bits.
1: I just think it was out of place. Mm. It, was, it was in the wrong segment of the story. So follow me through this. Um, like, if you look at it as Jesse needs to redeem himself, he keeps making the same mistakes with Tulip, right? Then he goes to this little town, becomes sheriff, and, like, you think, okay, he's changed. He's actually, you know, found his solution. And then when push comes to push... Or push comes to shove, or whatever the fuck the metaphor is. <laughs> when push comes to push, he's like, "Nope, I'm still the same guy from the beginning." And it causes him to die. His mistakes are so bad that it causes literally the, the highest cost possible.
0: I think that would have read more smoothly if he hadn't already
2: died. Yeah,
3: yeah. So you were you were continuing Eddie, like you said it was it was it was soft in the middle, and then out of the plane.
2: Yeah. Okay, and then at the at the towards the end. It starts to it starts to pick back up again because of course they go back to the whole fucking point of the story. Hey, <laughs> Ta-da, you found it. <laughs> get, getting the half, getting the half angel demon offspring back into this fucking cage, like
4: mm-hmm.
2: it, I, you know that's what I thought I was gonna. It's, it, I think it's it's it's. I think you were right in saying that they the expect there clearly wasn't an expectation for it to be a long run, and. <laughs> Yeah. They didn't plan for it, and so all of a sudden, when it's like, "Oh no, it's it, it's going to run longer," they were like, oh.
0: hey oh, Steve, like, we got another gotta... twenty issues. Let's
2: put in the meat, fucker."
0: Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> no,
2: no you're, you're right because you know the same thing happened with Todd McFarlane and Spawn. He planned yeah. for a hundred issues, and then there is a huge lull in the Spawn storyline where it is fucking boring because he had literally only planned for a hundred issues, didn't expect the popularity to be where it was, and then had to please the fans. Yeah, yeah. and I think. This book was in the same was in the same setting because it's so clear that how it starts off so great at such a high point and then lulls out and it seems like like a, like they finally find their calling again towards the end of the book. I mean everything, even with the backstory about um, Jesse's relatives and and and, and you know, and their their crazy stuff they're doing and you know the pieces back into his childhood. That's fine. That that that's perfectly fine. And you know, getting it, I think. I think getting off course a little bit during the main storyline is fine. Yeah. When you have huge filler because honestly that's what it is. It's fucking filler. It really is. huge. Go ahead. Say what? Oh. When you have huge filler arcs like that, you're you're going to you're only going to keep the hardcores paying attention and and a lot of the fans that you did gain are gonna, they're gonna wander
3: off. It really felt to me like, and I just thought of this just now, like what what it feels like. It feels like they started with the idea of it going to be a a, a mini series, and then toward the end of their mini series run, Vertigo came to them and said, "Nope, you're going to be an ongoing." You can just go for however long you want, and then he's like, "Oh shit, cool! I get to tell all these weird little side stories and do all this crazy shit." And then they got you know thirty more issues into what was what they thought was going to be an ongoing, and then they're like, mm, "Yeah, no, you got to end it now." And it, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like a plan, you know. And the biggest problem that I had toward the end, to, because of that, because of that lull in the middle, um, they do really really good character arcs at the end of the book for all of the three main characters but they muddle the shit out of the rest of the plot they muddle the shit out of the point of like where the what the fuck was supposed to happen with genesis again like what what exactly was the purpose of you know finding god again other than to kill him like to there was this original idea of taking him to task for the things that he had bailed out on that just kind of it kind of falls apart in the last 10 issues or so trying to figure out like where where were we going with this again and it really gets um, it really gets just sh- the like dumpster fired at the end where you can't just you I really don't know what the fuck the actual resolution of the Genesis part of the storyline uh, was I don't think there is one. like they but shoot there Jesse Custer and it releases Genesis and they don't really I wasn't sure talk what much happened about what happened to him or why do you know what happened in um, God destroys it but okay. they don't yeah but they don't really talk about that not super clear but mm-hmm. Joel you're you've been silent as well what do you, yeah, what do you well think I was letting
5: you guys have it out
3: uh that's so not is, how this works. It's a discussion. It's you got to interrupt f- the hell out of people. Know, it's yeah, all against one and Lewis, one against all.
5: Know, this is the trade exactly. secret rules, so, man. So here's, here's my question. To me, isn't Cassidy much like Bond to Ian Fleming? Isn't Cassidy just but Garth Ennis? No. I see it. Yeah. I don't know. No. I don't know Garth Ennis, you don't, though. You don't think so? No. Because I think that's the only reason why they made him I, Irish I, I or think Scottish. It,
1: I think it's Garth Ennis interpreting... Okay. <coughs> Interpretating? Uh, Interpretating. <laughs> I'm talking to Joel. I'm using his language.
5: Yeah. Uh, you're swinging. I'm swinging. <laughs> swinging for the finges. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Uh, Garth Ennis' take on interpreting um like Western culture. So if you look at um Cassidy that would be Garthanas' take on it. it's sort of a very meta. This is his viewpoint on him looking at Western culture.
5: Yeah. Hmm. So was, yeah, so Cassidy is what Bram Stoker. I think you're overdoing this. A little yeah, because because I think I, I, like I think the that's yeah. I think that's a whole reason why Cassidy is like, hey, and I'm back to normal, and he's the only one that has kind of a full resolution because I think Garthanas liked him more than anything else you know he well, stars, and he, and he definitely, definitely has and, and he's 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 like a he's got the weakness for and all these these uh different character flaws oh my
1: god i can't what happens to uh stars two agents the blonde girl and star, get, shoots star shoots them both, shoots them both. remember because right. because
3: yeah because yeah, uh tulip finds them in the stairs piled on top of each other dead and yeah. closes what's uh featherstone's, featherstone's featherstone.
1: eyes i liked featherstone yeah.
3: Yeah. um yeah me too I, so, and and actually shockingly enough like okay in that last bit of storyline i fucking hated the way that um they he kept i mean he kept using star as a punching bag which is fine you know he keeps getting disfigured no i think that's keeps, more of the fact that yeah.
1: he's resembling the monster that he actually is hold on hold on
3: let me right. let me get there because like i wasn't I, I misspoke it's not that i didn't like that it's that i i felt like star star became a, yes he's starting to resemble the monster that he actually is but he became a caricature yeah for several issues where he was one totally one-dimensional like there was no um all of his all of his villainous nuance vanished
4: mustache and, twirling was replaced and
3: kind of well, ruined star
0: for me Less um, mustache twirling and more coloscopy bag Poorly. and the only
3: place the only place where I feel like Star where he had that moment of of nuance again that made me really like what was originally the dynamic between Featherstone and, and the other guy and, and Star was when was when Featherstone finally reveals to him that she's in love with him yeah. and says I love you and he pauses and has that moment where he's and, and it's crude because it's Garth Ennis but where he's like the only way that I can experience any sexual pleasure anymore is to be fucked in the ass by a large cock. Do you think you can do that for me? And she's dead silent. And he's like, and that's why you're a better adjunct than a lover. So go do your, you know, go do your shit. And I'm like, that was the one moment that star had at the end where I was like, yes, that, that is awesome. And Mm. it's, it's like, it was a really cool character moment between the two of them that was
1: surrounded by a, a slurry of shit that I hated for Star. Um, I love the scene in the elevator when Jesse goes to save Cassidy and he and Star are fighting and he opens up the the attache case that's just filled with dildos. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is one of my favorite moments yeah, of the I mean, You know that's what's
0: weird about Star is that, like, his first injury, or his first, like, the first of many things that is taken away from him is he's a rape victim. Like uh-huh. and that's used as a punchline a little more than I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Mm. But in general I think that ties into just the rampant homophobia that <laughs> rides throughout the whole book. As a yeah. as a tangent. I, I
2: think one of, one of my favorite parts, and it's very subtle, is when uh Jess when uh let's well, say it's Jesse and Cindy and it or it, it was or maybe it was Jesse and someone else and he's, Cindy. he's like, Oh, you can just oh, use your power friend. to stop them. And oh. Then, oh yeah. 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 Then, and then she says, "She says, well, what if they don't speak English?'" And then, yeah. And then he goes, "I wish you fuckers would speak American." And yeah. I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> was like, yeah that's pre- that 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 was pretty funny."
1: I uh, I love it when Jesse like when Jesse realizes that the fa- so uh, good old boys mm-hmm. when Jesse realizes the family is you know can be accepted the word and he punches the guy in the face and he's like, "Fucking die!" Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah.
2: So. Oh yeah.
5: So my my thing is is that. I mean, and I think this is kind of colored by reading the boys and also crossed. Is that with Garth Ennis? Really love his writing. He's a great writer, but he does, like you were saying before, he does fall into a trap where he has to he has to be just gross, just to Slocky to be a, yeah schlocky. for a shock jock, yeah. and it and it starts getting to be like a porn movie. Where he just shows up like, hey, a a pizza delivery. And then all of a sudden, you know, something really just gross happens. And when that kind of stuff really takes me out of Garth's writing where I'm just like, motherfucker, why, why do you have to do this? Stuff? It's sort
0: of like when we finally see the thing that he's meat fucking and you're like, okay, so we've yeah. had a lot of buildup as yeah. to or, what this is. And or, in the end, it's actually, it's pretty cheesy. And that's does, something does star that,
5: really have to be Wiley Coyote. Yeah. You know, that, and, that and kind that's just
3: something that, that's something that Ennis and Dylan together have always done, which is, um, there, there is an art to not showing things. Yeah. They don't believe in that, and that's part of their schlockiness is they're like, no, we're going to put this in front of you every fucking time. We yeah. are going to make yeah. you see it. And in a lot of times, it can drain a lot of the tension and nuance out of the things that they're trying to do.
5: Yeah, it's it's not exactly that lit you're going to see this dirtiness and that kind of stuff. It's the fact that he goes through the setup of setting mm-hmm. this stuff up just so he can have, have this a punch punchline. Line. Yeah which kind of cheapens all the stuff because there's there's a lot of stuff that I really love and enjoy yeah. about his writing. Like with Cross, there was, there was one- Circle kind assault. of Assault. Yeah, there's <laughs> a circle of assault and everything. And there's a lot of unpalatable stuff, but there is one scene where these people are stuck at the end of the world at the apocalypse, right? And they're dealing with all these homicidal, like, Barbarians that are coming after him, and one of the people that they get stuck with turns out to be a serial killer, mm-hmm. right? And so, at the end of the world and of civilization, with everything stripped away, they are stuck with one civilized person who was pretty much, you know, like these barbarians they're trying to chase away from. Which yeah. I
0: and I've That's seen good dramatic irony, and, yeah, and,
5: yeah, and I've actually seen that in in TV shows where before it's like oh yeah you stole that from Garth Ennis and so he has some really great ideas but then he cheapens it with some really stupid punch and it
3: really is it really is a shame in a lot of ways because because like you said Garth Ennis he is a fantastic writer and it, it amazes me that you have like these cheapening moments amongst what are and this is where i'm gonna this is the positive and this is why preacher is is what it is and has such a place in the comic book history is that the characters are so good yeah jesse and tulip and cassidy and saint of killers e- yeah. the saint of killers e- even though saint of killers is pretty one note they do a, they read they, the, the four, like, Oh yeah, and, yeah i know um even and yeah. then you start to get into side characters like Featherstone and Star and stuff the and, angels. They, and the angels uh do de, 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 de de whatever the fuck de is Blanc. It, um, De Blanc thank you um there are so many good ca- and even in the villainous side all of Jesse's family um star. And, no, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the all father grandmother and the all father and the Jody. grandma Jody uh the his mom later on like uh the, there are so many characters that you just You get really attached and invested. Elvis, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, You get really attached to the characters, and then you get, um, and and that is why it resonates so well. Yeah, and that's why it's become kind of this timeless thing that I think is marred by nostalgia sometimes. Like people who read it originally definitely have a much higher opinion of it than people coming at it later. I can look at it in its time and see what it is and see how awesome it is um, with all the flaws that I, that I have found in it, you know, but it's, it really is the characters that make Garth Ennis's writing in part, in part and preacher in as a specific example of it. One of, you know, one of the most enduring stories because Jesse Custer and Tulip are it's 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 a romance novel. It's a fucking it's a love story. It's a, yeah. it's a love story. Mickey and Mallory. And I really really like the characters, but Manny mars it mars the plot and fucks it up so sometimes to the point that to almost it's, it's the pacing degrees, of it and yeah, the finishing it's, it's of it. pacing. I think the, I think the ending is
1: great.
4: Now that's I was going to say and the I, last
3: two issues, fucking fantastic. Oh God, yes. Like I I. I can go either way on the whole, like them bringing you know Cassidy making the deal to bring him back to life, but that's part of Cassidy's redemption story. And yeah, it's fine. I was into that. Um, I we've already talked about how I think some of the some of the way that it ends undermines Tulip a little bit, uh-huh. um, but um, but yeah, that the last two issues uh, they have some of the best dialogue, they have some of the best pacing, they have some of the best like shock moments the end of issue 65 where it's just jesse laying on the ground with a bullet full bullet hole in his and, head and there he died covering um, the ashes of his
1: best friend yeah, yeah
3: that was great um they're they're it's a really great ending um and i very much like you know we i've talked about i don't know if i've talked about it on this show probably The ending of AI, the movie AI.
0: You know when that should have ended?
3: When he's on the bottom of the ocean staring at the statue, it should have been a fade to credits. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely.
3: I really, really think that this book, ending with Jesse on the ground with a bullet hole in his head and done, and just assume that shit has gone right, right? You know, like, don't Genesis is taken care of yeah. god, god is, make god deals his you know has his deal yeah He's like yeah i'll resurrect him and because you know that you know that the saint of killers is waiting for him you know yeah. all the stuff that is might happen and it
0: almost imagine think, if it was tulip on the horse going into the sunset yeah, right? as the sole survivor yeah
3: so that i i don't i don't dislike the ending i think that there are i think there is a strong ending and then a kind of like this weird soft denouement after it that um I can go either way on, um, but
1: what did you think of the ending, Je- uh, Eddie? Jetty, t- talk to oh, us. Oh, you
4: didn't about
2: jetty about Joel Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> jetty,
1: <laughs> you guys, are, you guys are the same person, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yo. you didn't get to the ending, did you?
2: Uh, well, Andy, Andy pretty much summed it up. While, while you guys were were talking about it, I skimmed through and, and <laughs> found the ending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like. I mean, I honestly really liked I. I think that I, I agree with the whole Jesse could have been laying on the ground, and I I think we could have just phased from there to the saint to the saint of killers.
4: Yeah, uh, talking waiting. to
2: God, <laughs> smoking God, and then leave it at that. Like, I don't think Jesse needs to come back alive. I don't think Jesse and, and Tulip needed a happy ending. I don't I don't I don't think all that needed to happen. Um,
1: I think Jesse needed that, a happy ending. I'm
2: happy that the saint. I'm happy that the saint of killers got uh got, got to rest yeah and then and then took a seat and had a coffee <laughs> <laughs> i'm a chill out now you know uh i mean honestly i could take it or leave it i mean really yeah anything, I, I mean really take it or leave it
4: that's pretty uh, much it, where it, i stand too the
2: worst e- ending but it wasn't the best either
5: joel um yeah. i like the ending yeah i mean it's it's the fact that garth can actually do endings yeah. You know, talking yeah, about BKV. He's not BKV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. exactly. Fuck you, BKV. Where,
4: <laughs> you know, at the end Break of it was all... Break my heart once, all shame on me.
5: Everything just being so scattered in the middle, he can bring it down to the end and then actually end it. Yeah. And then have them walking off into the, riding off into the sunset. There is
3: one thing that I wanted to say specifically because I, you know, I've never actually addressed this on the show and it's, I guess it's fitting that I don't until the last issue or last
1: episode. Oh my (laughs) (laughs) gosh. Hey.
3: Uh, uh, I was really hoping that,
1: um, that would get fucked up again for this one more time.
3: The, uh, we, we end up talking about the writing a lot. Uh, and I think that's because that's where... I mean, we, we talk about... It's, it's funny. We talk about the storyline of a comic book and we kind of incorporate uh, talking about the writing and the art simultaneously. I feel like when we talk about it, we it sounds like we're focusing a lot on the on the writing and not as much on the art unless the art is just like super spectacular or terrible um or absolutely awful but i've i wanted to just mention especially here i i do think that um when we talk about the storyline it we are we're addressing it as a whole right we're not I'm not saying that Garth Ennis is responsible for everything that happens in the storyline, and that Gar- and that Steve Dillon is just you know a, a throwaway. Um, I think Steve Dillon, like part of why this story works, is because Steve Dillon is capable of of. Uh, representing the things that Garth Ennis wanted to put on the page in a way that makes them impactful, um, and I don't—we don't mention like we've kind of mentioned that you know some of us are like are like, well, the artwork is fine, but it's not great, and and I think that's because it was fairly early in Steve Dillon's career um, and his style hasn't changed a hell of a lot. It has evolved within his style, but Mm -hmm. like if you read some of his most recent stuff, like even the Punisher Max from a few years ago, um, his style is, it's very similar to, to what you saw in Preacher, but with, uh, with some evolution uh, within his style. Um, but I just wanted to say that, like, I don't I don't think we've been ignoring the art. I just feel like our comments kind of just naturally incorporate them because when you read a comic, you naturally... Inhale, you incorporate you, both parts. You internalize the art and the Gaiman. writing at the same
1: time.
0: <laughs> I internalize the art and writing of Sandman at the same time. That's because
1: the art doesn't matter. It's a book with pictures drawn in the background.
0: Uh, so, so, you one- know, but Sandman is one of the good examples to me of a multi-artist book because I think each artist... Anyway, this is a yeah, discussion a, that could <laughs> last
3: forever. Yeah, we've had it already, too. Uh, you know,
5: so one thing I can say is that we, in the comic book industry, they did have a time where they focused on the artists and oh, the artist is what drove it. Nineties The absolutely. 90s. Yeah, and yeah. it nearly destroyed the whole yeah, entire industry. Yeah. So I think...
1: Particular hologram covers.
3: Yeah. I mean, I remember but, I remember that time, and it's it's really funny now in the the current incarnation of the comic book industry how you know artists are starting to talk about how they don't get mentioned in reviews and it pisses them off because the the writer isn't everything but it's it's just the pendulum swinging right because there was a time when artists were all that got mentioned and writers were non like non-entities for the most part um and i think that changed honestly i think the 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 vertigo comics started changing that yep. yeah. with the prof with as high profile as neil gaiman was i think he was one of the first guys where people are like this and and you're right it is because giant blocks of text with relatively inconsequen- inconse- inconsequential inconsequential art but i think that that was a the start of a transition where people were like oh wow Yes, the art is important, but it's so so much better if you have a good writer to give the story that the artist can represent, right? And now it is definitely, they are both of equal importance. I don't think that either should ever be left out of a review or either should ever be like just ignored in favor of the other because it is a collaborative work. Yeah. Um, but i do think that part of that is that the industry spent so much time artist focused that with invisible writers that you know i'd say in the early 2000s to mid 2000s the comic book industry and comic book reviewers and comic book fans were like what about, what about the writers what about the writers what about the writers what about the writers and then now we're seeing that kind of natural progression progression where people were like oh shit yes we have to concentrate on the writers and it it maybe has has swung a little bit too far in that direction a little bit and it but it'll balance out and I uh but I think that um I just wanted to address the fact that it feels like we um uh, it's not that I'm not addressing Steve Dillon as an artist on this book because I think that his uh, I cannot imagine this book being drawn by anyone else he's perfect for the book you re- you read this book. And it, you look at the way the art is drawn, and and everything that we know and love about Jesse Custer is because of the visual Dylan's
4: appearance.
1: visuals, and uh, the would, Saint of Killers, Saint of and, Killers. and like, definitely Hair Star, and uh, like um, just so if you think of like the characters from this book, they are not necessarily. I, I don't know. I, I think iconic is the correct word. They have Jesse, very Jesse strong is, character design. Yeah, like Cassidy is very, very much how you like if you just read this as a story. Yeah. Cassidy looks how you imagine. Jesse is just like, okay, that dude is from Texas. And, and I'll say the weakest point of his art is his
3: women, actually. And I, and that the, the real key for that for me was, yeah, what the real key for that for me was that when they show up in New Orleans and there's the D girl with the eye patch literally looks exactly like tulip with an eye patch and a streak in her hair stop it i know just shut up um and it, it it was to the point where when i first saw Dee, I thought they were introducing a twin sister for for tulip that was going to be a plot point it was that that close even her friend amy like
0: it has the same silhouettes falls just into different the, hair
3: falls into that trope it's that episode that artist 20's trope, trope and of Casanova like, for
1: a discussion yeah. on character silhouettes
3: yeah and and falls into the the Thank trope that run. everyone hates about like the only thing that differentiates characters is their is their hairdo and their clothing and that he falls into that trope sometimes i think i think the one female character that that Separates herself as Featherstone, um, and of and course, the and well, they, like you said, but I'm talking about non-monsters. True. Okay. And and the um, but like really, even if you look
1: at the um, what's the girl from the town, the, <laughs> the deputy the
0: Cy- Cyclopean.
3: Oh no, the deputy. The deputy. Yeah. yeah. Cindy. Well,
1: Cindy is that her? Yeah, you're right. Cindy. That's her name. Cindy. It,
3: okay. She kind of looks like she has the same outline. She, she kind of looks like Tulip with a buzz a cut color. and different Gosh. colored skin. Yeah, and that's. Yeah. Um, that's the only failing of Dylan's art, in my opinion. I think there, I think otherwise. Like I love his representation of Saint of
2: Killers. Like I love the way he draws oh, the character. Like, it's, yeah, cla- it's, so it's like the Saint first- of Killers is easily uh, my my favorite character in this book, without a doubt. And it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, he's like Kratos, and then a force not have much of nature. Of a personality. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't have much of a personality.
4: Athena, hey,
2: Eddie,
1: yeah. Eddie, you need to <laughs> Eddie, you need to read the uh, the Saint of Killers four issue story. A side story. Oh, really? It is yeah. amazing.
2: All right. Yeah, he. Yeah, easily he's one of my favorite characters. And then also the also the uh, stranger that's based off of John Wayne too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: the figure but, of his but, imagination. Uh,
2: he. I, I. I also. I throughout the book, I thought that they brought the same new killers in more so as like you're playing Resident Evil and Tyrant shows up like when you're randomly you don't expect it, mm-hmm. as opposed to actually. <sighs> giving I think that I think Santa killers deserve more screen time.
4: What?
1: My favorite actually one of my favorite moments between Jesse and Santa killers is when Santa killers is like you say one word I'm going to shoot you and Jesse's like miss. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> Son of a.
3: Yeah, um so let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, we've been talking about it for, for a long time and it's, it's been an awesome discussion, but we got to go with, uh, what we were supposed to do at the beginning of the show and we didn't. Mm. So <laughs> who who cares? Cares? we're doing it at the end of everything. We're going to do a buy, borrow, burn. Um, and we're going to start with Eddie, uh, what
2: we buy, borrow, burn, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes um, yes yeah, to all?
3: Yeah, is neither of the is none of those words. So you
2: borrow
0: it from your friend you I'm gonna, yeah, I'm burn gonna go it and then you buy it. <laughs> I
2: swear I fucking no, I I blanked out for a second. Like I just <laughs> spoke and then and I like I disappeared into the astral plane. and I came back and what? Yeah. Uh I would I would borrow it.
5: Okay. Joel? Oh you're looking at me, uh buy it. <laughs> Re- regardless of everything, yeah.
2: I'd borrow it.
0: I think I mean I think it has a very special place in this world, but
5: Go Andy.
1: <laughs> nope, you first Luke.
0: Rock, paper, scissors. Come on now. <sighs>
1: no. Man,
3: it's it's rough for me. It's
0: it's really
3: a toss up. It's not it's clearly not a burn. It's it's a real toss up between borrow and buy. Um I th- I think I'm leaning toward buy uh because I like I like the book and I like all the elements of the book. I think they're I think they're assembled in a weird way that that undermines a lot of little bits, but overall it's it is a fantastic story. Um it's it's even more fantastic when you take in the meta elements of the era in which it was released. Uh, and what it has done for the comic book industry since, um, I think it was the nail in the coffin of the comics code. Like, and that's it's later yeah, than that's the, co- but it's it uh, Shit or get off the pot.
1: What's yeah, your, what's your
3: vote? I'm gonna say bye.
1: Good yeah. man. Yeah, it's it's a buy. It's a great interpretation of watching a non-American oh. sort of view American culture. Yeah, and like it really like solidified Garth Ennis as one of my favorite writers. It's in my top three books, if not, it's either. On equal with planetary, or I, it's like right there.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't put it up with planetary. Like I, uh, I, I planetary,
1: planetary might. Planetary is probably my favorite.
3: Is my still. second favorite book that we've done on the show. Sixth Gun, obviously being the f- my yeah. favorite. Mm. Um,
1: but so did
5: ahead. we actually end this with you guys agreeing?
1: Yeah, we've agreed on <laughs> by Borrow Burns happens every once Whatever. in a while. It does um, Holy so, terror! Mm. You were the only dissenter.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So um, the. I, I do want to mention, for those of you who want to buy it, it's kind of hard to get all of them now, but the best the best way to get this book is in the deluxe editions. Um, it's a, a six-volume hardcover set that includes not only the 66 main issues, but all of the miniseries. It includes of Killers, Arseface, uh, and Good Old Boys. Good old, good old Boys, Tall in the Saddle, and uh, Cassidy, Whiskey and Water. Um, oh, I forgot about Cassidy. Yeah, so... It's got all of the side stories and all of everything kind of sl- slotted into the story where they need to be. So like we, you get the Saint of Killers history right before um, the moment well, where he becomes the Saint of Killers. Uh, well, to- no, like they slotted into the middle of the storyline right before the desert yeah, confrontation. One son. Right. So um, they do a really fantastic job. The books look fantastic. Here's the problem. The third one, for some reason, was printed in smaller quantities than all of the rest of them and is actually harder mm. to... It's either the third or fourth, so it's actually really hard to find, and the when you do find it, it's right now, it's between $100 and $120. Okay. Um, maybe worth it anyway. I don't know, I but... The singles. And I well finding it, the singles is fucking impossible. Like a, yo, f- especially the early singles, there you can't find them so anywhere.
1: Uh, as a tangent, I originally my number two issue got wrecked, and mm-hmm. I had to find another one. It took me like a year to find yeah. it, a shop that had
4: it.
3: Um, it is available digitally, uh, which is of course fantastic. Um, there are soft cover trades of it, which are also great. But if you can find those deluxe editions, that's really the way to go. They're thirty bucks each, so you're lo- you know you're looking at. Um, 180 200 bucks for the whole 6 6 volume set but it's uh it's definitely worth it. This is it. This is the end of the show. This is uh the end of all shows. The end of all things. Trade Secrets is dead. Trade Secrets is dead. Long, long live Trade Secrets. Not Trade Secrets because long live be terrific. Nope.
4: Nope. <friends>?
3: We ha- we do have one other fan uh, fan email uh, that I wanted to read, and it's a- it was actually posted on our Facebook wall by Aaron Coker. And he says, really sad to see you guys wrapping up Trade Secrets, but I can understand the reasons. Still, I want to thank you for running so long and being so consistently great. The same whim that made me decide to check out the Emerald City Comic Con last year must have also made me pick up a colorful the colorful flyer for Trade Secrets. And I'm glad I did. Hearing your show, manned and womaned by fans, but also professionals in your own right, influenced me to start my own podcast and, in a world of sometimes downright noxious online commentary, reminded me that there is a cogent and witty conversation that there are cogent and witty commenters out there who still are quote unquote, just like me and who like me sometimes take the fungo bats to something because because some things deserve it. <laughs> if before you go, you can recommend any other comic book review discussion related podcasts you listen to because I'm going to have a trade secret sized hole in my rotation soon. Although the after the fact archives are still upright. Hmm. Thanks again for such a professional and always funny show. Lucky to all of you. Luck to all of you in future. In the future, and please keep in touch.
4: Yay, thanks, Aaron. Thank you,
3: Aaron. I like to hear that we've had any kind of influence on somebody starting their own podcast, and uh, one as entertaining as as uh, as uh, just enough trope. Just enough trope for listeners out there. If you're looking for um kind of a nerd culture a generalized nerd culture podcast uh just enough trope is hosted by aaron and uh, diane and they are they're hilarious together the show is really funny uh it's really fun they 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 go across a wide range of topics, not just comics, but movies and other pop culture stuff and, and nerd culture, and it's a really, really fantastic show, and I, it's nice to hear that Aaron's been one of our listeners. We got to meet him at the last yeah. Emerald City Comic Con. And, Their and business both, cards yeah. are amazing. Yeah. Both he and Diane are really super, super nice people, and, and it's a great show, so everyone should go listen to that. Yay. Um, as far as other comic book podcasts... Uh, I have two. Anne has two.
0: Rachel and Miles explain the X-Men is fantastic and it really is just basically an X-Men plot summary, which if you know anything about the X-Men, you understand how this could take episodes and episodes and episodes. It's super entertaining and they fully admit that like this is our favorite superhero soap opera. This is ridiculous. Let's go through this. Point out not only the important bits, but also the completely ridiculous bits. Um, Two, I am recommending this without having actually listened to an episode but I know the people involved and they are brilliant and interesting and uh, have opinions that they can state well and won't necessarily follow the mainstream. Uh, It's the Bloodbath 2 podcast. uh, With a
3: number two.
1: With
0: a number two. Not letter two. Not the letter two, (laughs) but the number two. Um, And you can find them on the iTunes and they're neat. Cool.
5: What was the first one again?
0: Rachel and Miles explain the Mm X-Men and Bloodbath 2.
1: I actually don't listen to comic book podcasts because I'm always worried that I'll accidentally steal something from someone. And if I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> brilliant. Like I've caught myself a couple times. But now you
4: can. Yeah. To
1: be
3: fair, being on a comic book podcast makes it less likely that I'm going to listen to comic book yeah, it,
1: podcasts. It's like it has always been a concern of mine that I would, you know, listen to something and then regurgitate something similar without realizing it because, it, you know, whatever spark got put in my head. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, guys. I, I'm so tired. Joel?
5: Um, comic Conspiracy. It's part of the the Geeks Geekbox Network, and it's a it's by a guy who owns a comic book store in Sunnyvale in California, and he has friends come over, and they're mostly DC centric, so Jesus would probably enjoy that. They do talk about DC more than Marvel, and they disparage Marvel, mm-hmm. so <laughs> this is probably
0: true of Bloodbath too.
5: Mm, so it's a, a little bit different. It's um it's good, and it also goes over kind of the business aspects of comic books too, because <laughs> the guy owns the comic he owns a comic book store. So he talks about diamond dis- distribution and all that. Um, pretty good. Do you yeah.
3: have any that you listen to, Eddie?
2: <laughs> myself. <laughs>
0: I am a comic
3: books <laughs> podcast.
2: I, I, read, oh. I read, I read comic books and then listen to myself talk about them. That's what I do. Um,
3: there's two that I want to bring up. I haven't listened to them extensively, but I have listened to episodes and they were all really good. One of them is called comic geek speak. Um, and it, it is another just kind of, both of these are general comic industry, but focus a lot on interviews with creators. So comic geek speak. And one of my favorites is one is called word balloon. Um, it word balloon is very much, you can, you can find it on iFanboy and it's, um, it is very much interview centric. It is, they, they get creators on, on as many episodes as possible and talk about, um, Uh, Talk to them about the the comics industry in general and then specifically what they what they are doing in the comics industry So it's uh, yeah, that one's a pretty fantastic.
4: Okay,
1: so uh, I do have one sort of tangent um There's a sort of brief video clip every week called comics should smell good and it's actually (laughs) done by the people at my local store Xanadu. Okay, uh, Casey and Morgan are both super sharp, but Casey basically fills me in on anything that I Should would like Mm -hmm. because he knows Mm -hmm. my taste the dude is brilliant, and he's written a backstory in uh, profit and he's doing some publishing some of his own stuff nice. right now. Um, cool. highly would recommend listening to those guys. Cool. Um,
3: I've gotten asked the question a lot, both by l- listeners and just friends and people about why we're why we're ending this show. Um, so <laughs> I'm I, sick and tired of looking at Luke across <laughs> the table. I I, I just want to address that real quick since it's our final episode, and uh, I'm just gonna the onus is entirely on me. Um, this was it, it, it. The reason for ending the show is first and foremost. I I love doing this show, but it's a lot of work mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of work uh between promoting producing uh reading the source materials that we review and editing <laughs> editing and that's what i kind of meant by producing but like yeah editing it uh putting it together and publishing it maintaining
0: the um, website it
3: is um i mean it on average it takes me a short episode is ten hours Eight to ten hours of work including the recording of the show. Uh, a long episode can be up to 20, 25 hours of work. Um, and that's a lot that's a lot of time. And you know none of us are getting paid for this. none of us we, we really enjoy it and it's really fun but man, it's that sometimes uh, for me specifically, one of the reasons why I decided to, to step away from doing this podcast is that I am actually when I started this show, I was when you started keggerific. No, no, no. Specifically, trade secrets. Uh, I was hardcore comic, comic dude, comic guy. I was buying a ton of single issues. I was really, really into comic books as an industry, and not that I'm not anymore, but I am definitely shifting my focus. In a way that doesn't lend itself to to being current in the comic industry all the time and being able to talk about it uh, in a way that's you know relevant. Um, I I'm a trade waiter. You know I've stopped buying single issues entirely, and that's fine for this show because we focused on trades. But um, but the biggest part of it for me was just that you know starting to f- starting to kind of fade into a new kind of a new. View of the comics industry and the way that I handle my fandom just wasn't really conducive to to doing this every two weeks uh, and talking about it every two weeks anymore. I don't um, I'll be honest. I don't have the energy for it. Uh, And that's not that's not to say that it isn't fun. It's just that um, uh, I, I want. I want to concentrate on other things. I'm, you know, I've got a burgeoning writing career that I'm trying to start, and I'm like, uh, takes you know, I'm time gonna, to burgeon a writing career. to Move from something one thing that makes me zero money to another thing that takes a lot of time and makes me zero money. So <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> totally Progress. Fine, But, um, uh, but that, yeah, to, for for anybody who's listening to this show and wondering why, you know, why we're pulling it, pulling the plug, it's uh, it's on my shoulders, and I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that bullet because um, the other reason why we're ending it now is that I really wanted this show to end on a high note. And I I think that we've, I think that we've accomplished that, right? Like after the fact faded away, it didn't burn out. Right. And I think that uh, at this point we are still, we're still so enthusiastic that we came up with two hours of discussion about preacher in the comic industry today that, 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 is a fantastic way to, to wrap up the trade secrets run. Uh, we've been doing podcasts since January of 2010, Uh um, two th- between that's when, after the fact started, I came February on March 2010. Or like yeah. You came on episode in nine. March or April. Yeah. Uh, we started with video games and as we shifted away from that, we start we moved into comic books. Uh, this I'm, I'm here's where I'm going to start to get into my thank yous. Um, this has been the most solid crew I could have ever hoped for a hundred episodes of this show. And we are the guys that have been doing it the whole fucking time. Individuals of us have missed episodes, and that's that's fine. But if you look back at like after the fact, like it was a mess. I dialed in it was, like ninety uh, yeah. percent of the, these episodes, man. <laughs> like, I, like I can't even uh, read. I was one of the later
2: characters. I I was one characters. yeah, characters. I was characters. One of the later characters. characters. You
3: came in in issue thirty-one. Thanks, Scrappy. So yeah. Issue thirty-one well, was your first you. first, first appearance.
2: You. But I mean, even, I mean, even after the, even after the fact, like I joined late and then later I became like one of the most reliable people to show up. It It was so weird.
3: And I mean, I think that's one of the things that, uh, not to toot the podcast horn too much, but that's one of the things that made this show great was the ability to actually sit down with the same people, be able to have those, those, uh, those callbacks and references and, and understand each other's personalities and have such a diverse group of people and, and a group, of tastes uh that we can you know that we had some i think we had some really fantastic fucking lasting discussions on this show that i even i will still go back and listen to our older episodes because we have discussions about stuff that i really really enjoyed um and i'm hoping that that happens for for listeners out there i i'm i'm this is podcasts are not the kind of thing that get um, that get discovered after their death, like a lot of things are. But um, I, I would hope that m- the vast majority of our shows are listenable. Um, that that they're not dated too badly and will transcend their the time period in which we record them.
0: One so. could listen to them after the fact. Oh,
3: I love it when someone says the name of the show in the sub show that. Um. And that's uh, to, to get sappy for a minute. Thank you guys very much, So And Andy, Joel, Eddie, uh, you guys have made this show fantastic for four and a half years. And I'm actually getting choked up. Wow. Uh, Feelings. <laughs> you know what? It's so. been
0: it's been a lot of fun, and it's been a really great way to like. Keep up on comics and read a bunch of cool shit that I would have never known about, which yeah. is fantastic. And yeah. you have all watched me morph from like the I read really I, obscure I graphic novels and comics web on comics on the internet. Internet. Yeah. to I have a pull box. It keeps getting larger. I don't know how that <laughs> happens.
5: Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you know, that's the weird thing because. Each one of you guys have a character arc i mean luke you started you started out, we worked together, and then you left, and now you're an author, published author, and everything and you you were someone i didn't really know, but you got your master's degree now and you're blossomed to a woman. <laughs>
4: No, so, well,
5: I, I don't know how to say it. Joel the wordsmith, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Exactly. That's that's uh. why I'm here. And Andy, now you're you're engaged and and I pretty much stayed the same. I've, you put your daughter through school. Uh, that, wow, that, I was doing that before, though. Into a woman.
1: I guess. <laughs> no, be, Eddie, you've become
5: like a robot. Like I think I've gone super yeah. saiyan. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you're,
3: you're, no. you. you are now the 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 technology. You're the max headroom of yeah. the
4: show. Yes.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, yeah, and I, okay. I mean, I, I think that
3: was probably one of the most interesting. Like d- to 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 bring it back around to that, I think that's one of the most interesting things that happened over the course of this show was that. What?
5: No, no. I was just I lamenting putting my foot in my mouth once. <laughs> all one last the time it's traditional
3: um was was the you know that that table at emerald city comic-con to th- like like i said we started the show in 2011 we didn't have a table we we got we a table. hijacked a table we got it <laughs> yeah we we hijacked hijacked a table at emerald city comic-con and that's one of the interesting things that i've seen in the evolution of this show is watching how much emerald city comic-con has changed over the course of oh, just God, the yeah. show how much bigger it's gotten to the point they sold the read pop and now i'm going to have trouble getting a table again um like there, a lot of things are changing about that that convention and the show has kind of grown alongside it yeah um but you know getting that table and you know, getting because of that table, we've met so many people. Because of that table at Emerald City Comic Con, it has generated almost every interview we've ever
1: had on the show. Okay, yeah. Real quick on that it tangent, is, I, I want to say thank you to Ed Brisson, Johnny Christmas, Curtis Weeb, Matt Fraction, Cullen Bunn, Kelly Sue DeConnick. Kelly, I, actually, I, Kelly Sue's so nice. I, <laughs> I felt like such an ass because I didn't know who she was the first time I met uh.
4: her. Um, Kelly Sue
3: DeConnick, Danielle Corsetto yep. was on the show, Ob Driver was on the show. Um, yeah, we like... <sighs> God, who else did we, have we interviewed on this thing?
1: Um, John Lehman. John Lehman John is yes. super nice. Um, oh my god, I feel like such an ass. I should have written these down. Yeah. Uh, all of the people who we've interviewed on this show. Yeah, Brian, we have, to, yeah. Uh, uh, Did Glass, we say Curtis we... Yeah, I said Curtis.
3: Okay. Yeah. Brian Glass, Michael A. Van Uh We have. Matt we I have like, become like I have actually p- become legitimate friends with Brian Hurt in large part because of this show at the beginning and uh cullen Bunn and time, i yeah. talk on online all the time uh curtis curtis and ed um like her uh the two of them i i talk to all the time and i feel like those are guys that i could actually like if i went to vancouver i could go out and have a beer with those guys and, and that is in large part because uh i i could break the ice with them by asking them for an interview on the show and then uh ed I've, I was always floored by, like, we did the interview with oh him, and God. he's just the nicest fucking
1: guy in the world. And so is Curtis. and Johnny, and, Johnny is so nice. yeah um, I, I'm just remembering uh, <laughs> when you know, we, were, we were interviewing them, and before the interview starts, they're like, okay, just don't ask this one question. And we're and, like, oh, three God. minutes into the interview, and Luke's like, hey, here's this question. And I'm just like, they, what they, the they fuck, said, Luke? They said,
3: <laughs> they said, don't ask about the ending of Sheltered. And I, uh-huh. I was my question. My intended question was not what came out of my I know, mouth, but
1: it was so funny because I just it, like
3: because like, because Ed looked at me like what brain damage do you have? What is what is your fucking problem? Because he he literally was just like he. it was one of those like it was almost like one of those uh, Tom Cruise is going to get up and walk out of this interview kind of moments uh-oh. where he was just like. He was real close to just being like, oh, fuck this noise. I'm going. I'm gone. But yeah. <laughs> I, the, the interviews have been fantastic. Um, the, uh, I'd
2: say one of my, one of my, some of my favorite uh, interviews have been with uh, uh, Jeff. Uh, what's his last name? Jeff. Uh, Jeff
3: Callis. Oh, yeah. Say it again? Callis. Callis the, from the, the
0: guy that we talked to at the end of PAX. The,
2: Death, in the PAX casts, yeah. Definitely some of, my, some of my favorite times. And there's that one... That one uh, dead zone episode that will never that is only That's been cheap. heard by the people that were actually on the show as <laughs> as Luke made it disappear an into the hour, interwebs. An
3: hour and a half episode that was a day two Pax cast that, that just uh, died uh, that vanished into the ether and like um, two people so so how long, this
1: world out of what six or seven years total? Five and a half, almost six almost years. Almost six years. Uh, almost one six years. Episode died. Okay,
3: we've lost we've lost one Pax cast. We've never lost the entirety of a Trade Secrets podcast, but we lost a section. The first 20 yeah. minutes of one, I recall. Right. We lost the first 20 minutes of one. We lost... <laughs> we lost... We repeatedly lost episodes <laughs> of, of Hit the Deck. Oh. Uh, Hit the Deck only lasted six episodes, and they recorded part of that. 37 was episodes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what
3: they recorded episode three three times. That's so funny. Cool. Oh, and then lost another episode, and then they were like, Yeah, I'm done. And then there is a recorded but unproduced episode oh, yeah. of Everything Is Ruined Forever yeah, that never
1: that actually never got off the- never happened. Because it
0: turns out that uh, doing the other half of the podcast is a shitload of work.
1: Yeah. Oh god. No,
0: uh, so, so thank you, Luke, for doing <laughs>
1: That. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick i'm gonna jump in here uh like having done editing on i think two episodes like there's like a giant like if you were listening since the beginning there is a giant gap and there is a, an episode of joel and i reviewing i don't remember Horrible. what and it took me like weeks to get everything working right yeah. and uh, the entire time i'm sitting there i'm trying to edit i'm sweating sweats just rolling down my face so i'm like how the fuck does luke do this And then, like some of the PAX episodes, you know, we'll record them. And then next day, it looks like, yep, it's up on the site. I'm like, you fucker. (laughs) Yeah. Those were, uh, those were long nights.
2: I've got to ask. I've got to ask. I think everybody on the show right now was there. Maybe, I think Joe might have been still working, but the, uh, from that that uh, missing episode, the sheep truck. The
4: sheep truck. Dude. The sheep
3: truck was yeah. It's like sheep. This is an ins- it's an inside joke that no one who's <laughs> listening to this is ever going to get. But goddamn, it was awesome. So that uh, was a brilliant moment. Well, you know, this
1: is point, our final what, fuck you to listeners, huh? <laughs> the funniest moment of the show. No, no one no will ever there. Hear. <laughs>
4: what
2: yeah. made what made the PAX <laughs> one so crazy was the fact that we would go over to the Sheraton. And whenever we recorded, I would immediately call the waitress and start drinking. Yep. And by the time we got halfway in, into the episode, I mean, I was pretty much lit. And then it was just over from there.
3: Yeah. The PAX episodes and the Emerald City Comic Con episodes were all kind yep. of the same thing. We were
1: always sitting at the, the Sheraton. <laughs> I remember Callus getting all choked up talking about the road and his son. And I'm like, man, the fuck up. <laughs> oh <my> God,
4: Eddie. <laughs> yeah
1: all right Um, we should we should wrap this up wait real quick one last thing okay Uh, so I want to say thank you to uh, Ed Ridgeway Aaron Gordon Broughton uh, Scott Ingersoll uh, Wes Um, guys I really appreciate you know getting the heads up that people are actually listening to this stuff outside in the real world they Um, do (laughs) you guys are awesome also, I want to say thank you to Jesus and Aaron for the emails. You guys rock. Yeah, Aaron, thanks for your interaction. Especially, especially
0: yep.
3: Jesus Christ. He sent four emails in
1: one week. Right, cool. uh, Aaron, you and Diane are awesome. Um, also, <laughs> also thanks to Nick Lindsay, who Nick, Nick freaking Lindsay. gave
0: us books that one time. Right, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. gave us totally Transmetropolitan and it. All Hail
1: Megatron. I <laughs> want to read Transmetropolitan
0: <laughs> and <laughs> All wow. Hail <Hell>,
1: Megatron.
3: Transformers.
1: <laughs> Spider Jerusalem versus Megatron. Interesting. Oh, my God. Yes uh also really really awesome people dale and jeff uh, otherwise
0: known as the frederick the great crew or yeah. count dolby von luckner is dales um, yeah
1: you guys have,
3: have hung out with us at cons and in fact
1: had beer with us at
3: cons yeah in fact remember and we recorded record an episode in, their, in their, their hotel room at emerald city a couple years ago which was pretty fantastic uh for those of you who have seen our facebook banner Almost all of those pictures, all the pictures on there, except for the one of Joel, were actually taken during that recording while we were sitting around uh, Dale and Jeff's hotel room that that day.
1: So So many.
0: And check out Dale's stuff, because he does a lot of very cool things. Women in Science. He does the Women in Science, which is a book. It's also a recurring blog where he does interesting in-depth profiles with an amusing cartoon as well of a wide wide variety of women in science throughout the ages. He also does a series that is uh has it has one like pulp hero and one modern hero, all women. Uh and it's just like going into some of the some of the B C D grade <laughs> heroes and and doing like a fun review of them.
3: So yeah, and if there's god we've we've thanked a lot of people and we were stupid and didn't write a lot of them down so like if there's anybody that we're forgetting out there it's not because uh it's not because you didn't have an impact it's just
1: because we're dumb and i'm an um, asshole That's, yeah i mean luke's dumb uh, i'm an asshole joel's drunk and's on meth
0: i i i take offense i would do laudanum <laughs> <laughs>
3: So yeah, I mean, thanks thank you to everybody out there uh who had a part in 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 the show and I, and if we're forgetting anybody, that's that's all on us and I really apologize. Do you have anything else you wanted to say, Joel? Uh,
5: thank Eddie. I think he's the one guy yeah. I I didn't think because because of him we have more DC representation. It's true. And yep. and he was he's the only guy that could actually talk over you, Luke. And <laughs> and, and, and I yep. love him for that. I love him. oh there,
3: that. Was definitely Pat, some, Pat, there was definitely could some talk over <laughs> there was definitely some early episodes of trade secrets and and after the fact that Eddie was on where he was just like no fuck you I'm not letting you talk fuck off yeah. <laughs> I, love like, it.
1: I love so. it so yeah thank you Eddie oh and thanks Mike hey Micatron thank you Jill. the other host who's not here Micatron was on our inaugural <laughs> and he was on 27 yep Um. oh oh god the, oh, yeah. The flash forward okay, episode. Wait. So I, I want to talk about that real quick before we close this all off. Just to give you guys a heads up with that at episode 27, the look on Luke's face was fucking priceless every time that we'd record he's like we got to keep, keep continuity there's got to be some way to do this <laughs> oh jeez, uh, never I, w- I will never do anything like that again no. but it was so it was worth hilarious. it Luke had so much more hair before that happened oh, yeah <laughs> i just wish i could have been a fly on the wall when there i sent the files so over much, to him
3: <laughs> so much shit that i had to edit around for what was it? Twenty fucking episodes <laughs> yeah. until we got to the point where we recorded episode six, and so many times I had to stop the episodes quote unquote, episode six recording to be like, no, 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 we haven't talked about that yet, <laughs> son of a bitch. Like that was a fucking nightmare. God, and it just
1: it, like it warms the cockles of my heart. It's God. just so good. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, we have been doing this show now right. for four and a half what, what was it? What was what, what, Eddie?
2: oh i was just gonna say that uh you know i pre- i appreciate the fact that a uh, invitation was extended to me you know to join the show after uh you know after the con especially mm-hmm. for the simple fact that the first day that i met i met you all there it it wasn't like that and then like i ran into Anne the next day and she was like oh my god we're so glad i'm so glad that we i saw you again because we wanted to ask you if you wanted to be on the show but But, uh, you know, we didn't, nobody got your contact information or anything after it. And so it was like sheer, you know, honestly, it was sheer luck. I mean, I could have been a one day and done. Mm -hmm. But, uh, fate would have
0: it otherwise. Yeah.
3: Well, and I know we've told this story on the show before, but it was, I mean, it was you (laughs) walked up to the table at Emerald City and you stood there for three fucking hours. Like or well, two hours, yeah, we're just, just the shit talking about comic books, and that it was at that moment, like literally, you walked away from the table to go do
1: something, and we were like, "Luke that looks that over, could have been me. an episode of the show." Yeah. <laughs> Luke looks over at me, he's like, "Why weren't we recording that?" I'm like, <laughs> yeah. "Why didn't we get that guy's information?" <laughs> yeah, uh, but, uh,
2: I, you know, I'd like to thank you for that. Thank you for extending an invitation to me. Absolutely, and, uh, you know, making me a part of the the uh, geekerific team. Yeah. Family, and thank Kirk you, family. Just, thank you for being just,
3: willing to do the after the fact podcast, even though you were the comic <laughs> book guy at the, at the start. Yeah. So, um, and uh,
2: and even you know, even even past that, you know, um, friendships have been been forged, you uh-huh. know, outside of just comic books or just uh,
1: oh, you're stuck with you us know, video games thank and, you and for stuff being like
2: that. A friend. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't like it. Doesn't matter that you're in a different country. You're still stuck with us. Like yeah. you cannot uh, I escape.
2: Know, right? And I'm, and I'm gonna tear down my Facebook. I'm gonna block everything. We're like we're like crabs.
1: <laughs>
4: so, <laughs> well,
3: the four of us are gonna cling it to your pubic hair for the rest of your <laughs> life. Uh, Joel, you look awfully white.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? The,
3: um, what? <clears throat> yeah, I mean it, it. This whole endeavor, the Geekerific endeavor, started in 2010 um, as a as a way to distract me from life if mm. that sounds weird and this might be getting Makes a little sense. serious for the show but like in the end of 2009 my father passed away and uh i was in a job that i really didn't fucking like so this actually started the whole after the fact and everything started because um just because i needed something to to occupy my time um i was trying to write at that point in time and i couldn't because there was I needed something that didn't involve... That I could I, I could do to overcome distraction. And writing wasn't that thing, right? Like that makes I was, sense. I, writing,
0: you're going to get into all the squishy places of doom.
3: Yeah. Um, and so, you know, starting with After the Fact, it became a reason for me to play a bunch of video games and then trade secrets just kind of naturally evolved out of that because like you started on the show and you know you, you and I worked together and we were constantly talking about comic books and constantly posting things about comic books and it was just like this format works we should use it for a comic book show and I remember that day I remember walking over to you at work and being like you want to do a comic book podcast and you're like yep <laughs> and it was just like <laughs> I was like who else should we recruit? And we started going through after the fact people, and we were like, "Don't know if Micatron reads comic books, and I know Patrick doesn't who who else and then I, I think I don't remember how we came to you. Uh, like,
0: I signed myself on because oh, Mike right. had Mike mentioned something mentioned it. about it and it's like really comic book podcast you say yeah hey I want to do this thing
3: and Joel was just a guy that we used to discuss comic books with work uh, again at work with uh, occasionally yeah. and and it was just one of those like yeah those discussions naturally lead into what we would be doing on the podcast so it was all just this I mean obviously the three of us worked together and then and it was through you know through our connection through Micatron and an initially eddie through the podcast but everything uh, evolved organically and i think that's one of the reasons why it worked out so well yeah. for over the years is that um it was just every every decision we made to bring someone into the fold on this show was just an obvious choice there was never a point where we were like with after the fact there was Definitely points where we were like Jesus Christ we have to find some people warm bodies to do this get somebody in a seat. That's how they got me <laughs> and yeah and, and Good job
0: being alive.
3: Yeah and that never happened with trade secrets and I think that's uh, that's what made the show great hmm. and um, now we're going to wrap it up uh, again for for one last time thank you for the last four and a half years on the show yeah, right back and uh thank you andy for for at least the last two years you know hosting us in your apartment because it was central to everybody's commute i know that once we moved up two years ago to moved up to our new house it was way out of the way for for especially eddie and joel when mm-hmm. you know that's oh, another oh, fucking thing hard. when you were driving up here from goddamn tacoma Jesus. Like, seriously
2: <laughs> I had the longest commute
3: yeah absolutely <laughs> um Thank so you, Joel, for work. sticking with us, even though we uh, rag on you for your well, uh, your blargs and twats. <laughs> blargs uh, and twats. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Eddie, for coming in and being willing being willing to be a fill in on after the fact until you got onto the show that you actually wanted to be on. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, right. Um,
4: but, uh, hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, it's um, been fun. This has been this has right. been a lot of fun. Thank you to everybody out there who has listened to this show yeah. over the last four and a half years and participated or not, or just even just lurked. This has been, this has been an absolutely fantastic ride for me for the last four and a half years. And I have appreciated every minute that I've spent on it. I'm glad we're, we're wrapping it up in a way that makes it uh, a nice little package and ending on an up note. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Uh, this has been episode 100 of the Trade Secrets podcast. Four and a half years of recording. Oh, it just and we're out.
1: <laughs> Hail Satan.
4: That's it. We're out. <laughs> Holy diver yeah, You've been down, down, down too long In the, the midnight, midnight sea. sea Oh what's becoming oh, of me, me.